Hello everyone, welcome to the Desolation Sounds podcast. My name is Stephen Hook and this is a podcast celebrating everything to do in the world of German music. Be that rock, punk, metal or even extreme metal if you ask nicely. Uh, this is the big one. This is the giant fucking huge one. This is albums of the decade. It's it's only very late because it's nearly... Well, in fact, no, I'm going to release this today. So it's the 31st of January today. We're literally... Well, not, I was going to say balsing February, we're not. We're touching cloth with February. And I'm just getting this out, so. Yeah, totes apologies on that. But, you know, you move house, you do things, you act like a Muppet. You work and yeah, you just you just do stupid things. You know, like live. And I'm sorry, but never mind. The caveats for uh, the end of decade list um, was just one that I could think of it was just no two albums from the same uh no two albums from the same, same band which caused me issues at first because I had multiple albums from the same bands and a friend of mine pointed that out and then I was like oh yeah I should probably just bring it down to one pro band which was a bit annoying but you know excuse me it makes things fair it also makes things harder because then you can decide what is for me, a band's career best. So that was pretty much the only caveat I could think of. Um, the only caveat for you, my dear listener, is if you haven't listened to any podcast that's talking about my end of year lists, uh, they are across two parts. They're released over a week and a bit, we'll say. Um, listen to them first because, as a spoiler, there's some albums from 2019 and the end of year decade. Uh, before we get to the top 20, which is the ones I'll be actually talking in depth about, um, I'm going to very quickly, it's probably not going to end up being quick at all, but I'm just going to very quickly blast through 50 down to 21. Um, you can also find these on the social medias at Desolation Pod, but just for context and for the completionist in me, I'm going to go for them all. So, probably skip the next 30 seconds if you've already read them or we don't care, but... From 59 to 21 then, you've got number 50, Of My Sun Men with Restoring Force. 49's Metallica, Hardwired to Self-Destruct. It's so fucking annoying, we had one Metallica album in the last decade. Uh, number 48, Ananda Thruck with A New Kind of Horror. Number 47, Feed the Rhino with The Sorrow and the Sound. Number 46, Avatar, Feathers and Flesh. Uh, number 45 is Puppy with The Goat. There you go, that's a 2019 one already. Spoilers, obs. Uh, number 44 was my cheeky one. It's a combination of various Sumerian record artists, Florence and the Sphinx, the Sumerian, sorry, sorry, Florence and the Sphinx, Sumerian ceremonials, fucking hell. A tribute to Florence and the Machine, it was like a, um, well, just that, a tribute album to Florence and the Machine, featuring loads of, like, post-hardcore, um, metalcore, post-metal kind of bands, it was fucking amazing. Uh, number 43, Mastodon with Once More Around the Sun. Uh, 42 was Devin Townsend with Z2 or Z squared or however you want to end up pronouncing it. Number 41 was the Dinger Escape Plan with Dissociation, who for the longest time I thought the album was called Disassociation. I've been wrong. Uh, number 40 was a self-titled album from Dreamcar. Number 40, 49, 39, I know how numbers work. Uh, While She Sleeps with This Is The Six. Number 38 was Brutus with Burst. Uh, number 37, I don't know why I struggle with that. Meyer by Conjurer. 36 was Jamie Lennon with Devolver. 35 was Don Broker with Technology. Number 34 was Clipping with There Existed an Addiction to Blood. I really struggle to say that for some reason. 
Number 33 was Your Demise with The Kids We Used To Be. Number 32, Palm Reader with Braille. Number 31 was Prestamico with Here's Who To Fatigue. Number 30 was Exit 10 with Give Me Infinity. Number 29, Trivium with The Sin In The Center. Number 28, okay, I'm running out of breath. Number 28, Turnstile, Time and Space. Number 27, Brutopia by The Hell. Number 26, Rollo Tomasi with Time Will Die and Love Will Bury It. Fucking love that as an album title. Number 25, Gujira with Magma. Number 24, Motorhead with The World Is Yours. Number 23, almost at 27 for some reason, Black Peaks with All That Divides. Number 22, The King Blues with Punk and Poetry. And then number 21, The Defile with Daggers, which leads, to into, leads us into, I should say, my number 20, first of the actual analysis, but you can please come back if you haven't already. It is the third album from the Pittsburgh hardcore mob Code Orange. It is the album called Forever. It came out in 2017. And I was loosely familiar with Code Orange beforehand. I remember reading about their debut album as Code Orange Kids in Metal Hammer. Is it written down anywhere? Uh, Love is Love, Return to Dust. And... I listened to bits of it and it was fairly, it was, as I say, like fairly passable. It was a lot of fun. It's just, you know, at the, I think by the time it came out, what year was it? 2012. I was, as you can probably tell from a lot of what happened in the top, uh, the 50 down to 30, I wasn't really into like overtly heavy music at the time. I thought it was like a cool punk, um, punk rock album and then went about my day. And... Same sort of thing with I Am King when they went to being Code Orange. Just a bunch of cool songs that I thought, you know, it's just, it's, it's just neato. The helicopter's very rude. Um, so yeah, they were a band I was aware of, but never quite fully into. And then I remember getting the rush of excitement when the title track and therefore the lead single came out. It was, and I'm sure like anyone who's familiar with Code Orange would already know about Forever, the song, but it was a huge, fat fucking riff. It went into like a lo-fi vocal break, I'll try again, a lo-fi vocal breakdown, which I love that lo-fi, that low staticky, low production sort of vocal, especially in heavy music. Um... And that was counteracted by like really eerie, lingering vocals by Reba Mayers. You had this like really crunchy, really impactful D-beat section that went into like a really drawn out, really heavy breakdown. It was just, the whole song was fucking insane. And I remember going into work and I've got a couple of friends there who um, big into the metal as well. And I'll say, guys, just, just fucking listen to this. And they went back or they went home and listened to it and they all came back to me and said, mate, this is just, it's the heaviest shit. And it absolutely fucking was. This was, what I didn't realise at the time, Breakdown Hardcore, which was somehow so much more accessible. Like everyone goes on about uh, Not Clues and like how they are a Breakdown Hardcore band and yet somehow they are so massive and so big. And I've never really got it. I listened to... Um, Certain shade of blue, or whatever it's called, sound the shade of blue, whatever. Um, and it just did not click. I still don't understand how a band like that, or a band that sounds like that, has got such a massive following. 
like such a broad following as well. And then you had Code Orange that comes in and it's equally as heavy. It's not heavier, probably heavier, I'd say actually. And yeah, it was just absolutely incredible what they were doing just off that one song. And then when you get to the whole album, it's such a such an amalgam of styles and genres. You've got the beat down, you've got the hardcore, you've got the strong out heavy metal, and then you've also got industrial, you've got glitch, you've got alt rock, you've got a song like Bleeding in the Bleeding in the Blur, which is like a nineties alt rock doomy sort of thing, that rubs shoulders with a song like Real, and that's just a bastard fast hardcore song. And that stop start glitchiness of the album, like this it's I think it's the mud. Or could even be real actually, I think it might be real. Where it gets like two thirds of a song and then just cuts off and starts doing this like really low hum, ambient industrial sort of thing. And the first time I was listening to it, I thought I had like because at the time, I'll be honest, I was a naughty boy with downloads. I thought I had um, like a bad copy or they were like going against piracy, which, you know, in hindsight was a really good thing, but it wasn't. That was just how they wrote the record. And once I've realized that and there's like more points at the album that it just suddenly cuts off and you're in a new section and they've done it since in EPs and singles, I cannot fathom how they do that live and how they know when it's going to come in. Apart from the fact that obviously they're all fucking brilliant musicians but it's just unbelievable and it's such a weird new thing that they were trying that now a lot of bands are trying to do that like glitchy like stop start sort of thing to not quite the same effect or the same um, shock value as when Code Orange were doing it on forever and Code Orange for me now are the band that if anyone says, like you get Gene Simmons come out and say Rock is dead, or you get your Darth coming out and then saying, oh, Rock is dead, you need to listen to new good new music and all that sort of shit. Code Orange are my go-to band for proving that rock or metal, anything like that, is still as popular as they've ever been. They've got a match success with Forever. Well, not a match, but like a match for this world. They got invited to the Grammys. They won the Grammy for like best metal uh, performance, I think, in twenty eighteen. Um, they were able to get on billboards all across California. They were, I think, they that extended to like the rest of the country. Overnight, they became a household name, and they were getting on more commercial, more. Um, like presentable TV shows and like getting more and more news coverage. It's every bastard driving past my fucking door at the moment. And yeah, they got that. Okay, this was like album th number three for them, but music like this at its core shouldn't be getting the kind of gravitas that it was getting. And the EP they've released, the song they did for Adult Swim, the new album that's coming out, the list of the teasers coming from it, they haven't exactly like affected their style with this newfound success, this new like world of eyes that are now on Code Orange. And yeah, I think it's, the album is insanely good and it's really great if you really just want to punish your head with how 
fucking heavy it gets. But also, when you talk about metal branches don't having it anymore, fuck off. Like, Code Orange were doing things that, like, it took Kiss a lot longer to get that, and it took Iron Maiden a lot longer to get sort of this level of recognition. And I can't think of another modern band who's had it that big, that fast, or that good, that fast. There's probably something really obvious I'm not thinking of, and do let me know, but yeah, I think as like a ballpark, what Code Orange were doing, it would, just, it would be fucking wonderful if more bands were trying to do that sort of thing, or ended up doing that sort of thing by mistake. But now, fucking fantastic album. Really, really bastard heavy album. Um, that doesn't like to stay in one place too long. Very, very fucking good. It's forever. It's the third album by Code Orange. Um, it came out in 2017, and they're already... Well, they're ne- they are now currently teasing for the new album to come out in... March? May? I want to say May. I feel like that was the album that had a really big... It got announced and had a really long time before it actually came out, but... Very excited. And... I should also say, for like some of the, a lot of newer albums, so... Obviously, I've been doing this for a year and a half, a year and a bit now. Um, I don't plan to go on as much detail. Like for that, I went to quite a lot because I had to ramble about the Grammys or lack thereof. Certain albums, I'll probably only give a few minutes to because I've got twenty albums to get through. I've got shit to do today. You know, busy man doing busy things like going back to work after a week's holiday. But you know, we'll move on to number nineteen. And did I just read that half the members of Code Orange were in the... Yeah, half the members of Code Orange were in an emo band. Well, I know what I'm looking at later on. Um, moving on to number 19 then. I really need to sneeze as well. I won't come out. Me. Uh, number 19 is the first album from my 2019. Still now, don't know how to separate it with the other one. Um, it is the third album from Microwave. The album is called Death is a Warm Blanket. Um, I probably will repeat a lot of what I said in the albums of the year, which I said got released last week. Um, but the al- this is just... I think I said it then. It's an album where it's so hard to take apart about what's good about it and what's bad about it, because there's not much bad about it. Excuse me, but just talk about why it's so great and why it's so good. Purely because it's just fucking great. There's no individual thing. There's no one set note that I'm like, oh, God, that's a, that's a fucking doozy. It's just brilliant as a whole. It's such a well-roundedly good album. It is fantastically heavy. It is... Um, how do I describe it? It's explosive hardcore that bursts through with a grunge structure with little sprinklings, like salt bay sprinklings of alt rock. And you know when like grunge would like it um, peaks and you've just got like the big you know, Kirk Bay shout after it's just been like quite an eerie sort of moment. You've got that, but when it shouts, it is this in your face style hardcore. And what was like the usual quiet bits of grunge is what would previously be the heavy part of grunge, where it's like big riffs, a really, really beautiful guitar tone, and just Nathan Hardy screaming his tits off because um the lyrical backing for the album it's just come out come about from nathan just having the worst kind of years um since the band formed actually i only read when i was reviewing it last week for the end of the year 
that when he started Microwave, when they were starting to take off, he was coming out of being part of the Mormon church. So having to come out of that to this brand new world, let's face it, our world's pretty shit, to then he battled homelessness, he battled um, illness, injury, all sorts of shenanigans, and then, yeah, he's come up with this. And there are just some fucking primo, delicious lyrics in this album. Um, the one that always gets me is, do you murder me in your lucid dreams? Oh God, I hope you do. That was just, oh, I want to find some way of getting that tattooed on me at some point. Um, it doesn't really get better, that's just something they say. If you only look at what you see, you can only, sorry, I'll try again. If you only look at what you want to see, you can see whatever you want to believe. You can believe, make your mantra, love all equally and hate everyone else that disagrees. I found my niche in this pile of shit. I've got nothing left to prove, but there's nothing else I really want to do, so this is what I'll do. Just, I just so, it's spiteful, angry, but just delivered amongst the music, which is just ear-catchingly fucking whimsical. I'm running out of adjectives. Um, it's bleak and it's pessimistic, and I'm always going to be a fan of that, and it's over and done with within... 30 minutes which is just it's a nice way of like really pumping up your day and part of it which is the last song it's the closest thing they get to a ballad and even that doesn't take away from the sting of the album you're still raring to go for your whole day it's a fucking great album this i love it to bits and i had such a difficult time picking between this and what was my number one for the year what was my number 18 now which is pop and morbid stuff and Morbid stuff, I think, keeps getting it purely because A, I've had it longer. B, the way he delivers, like Stefan Babcock, the way he talks about cynicism and his pessimism is a l very similar to how I would address it. Um, whereas Nathan Hardy and Mike Quaver, he talks quite, I want to say open, not in the case of he's just very open with his feelings and that sort of thing. He just his vocabulary is a lot more open, his metaphors are a bit more grandiose, 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 you know what I mean. Like the, do you bury me, um, do you bury me in lucid dreams, oh God, I hope you do. That is quite a big statement, it's quite a big line, whereas Steph, um, Babcock on Morbid Stuff is more, just because you're sad again doesn't make you special at all. Um, what was the other one? Uh, what was it? Um, Sloppy Steffi making a mess again? Sloppy Steffi back at it again, calling you at 5am, have you been drinking? Well, of course I have. Why the hell would I be here if I wasn't? I don't know what, I can't describe what it is, but the way I talk to people, I talk to people, hopefully with words, the way I talk to people is much closer than that. It's very upfront and honest and quite, you know, to the point. And I think that's why I end up going back to Morbid Stuff A a lot and why I think it did edge out over um, Microwave. And for like just Morbid Stuff on its own without the context of um, Death is a Warm Blanket, Stefan Mabcock is a wonderful songwriter. Obviously he's got that really um, cynical lyric, like lyric writing uh, feature to him. He's not looking for redemption. He's not looking for anything like that. It's or to own up to what he's done wrong. And I think I said in the end of the year review, a lot of albums who would talk about this sort of um, oh, subject matter, it's usually quite broad or third person or 
apologising for it or whatever. He's just very much, this is what it is, it's just the truth. This is, like, my take on everything, take it or leave it. Um, again, special something for Zach Makula, who was the drummer. I think he just does an amazing job. He breaks apart. He was the first part of the band where I realised that he just sort of does things almost in spite of the rest of the band. He doesn't just do... Cause it, the argument I always have with my friend Ryan is that he always says like any anything I say which is really good punk rock, so, oh, does it follow the same suit? Or... I'm like, well, you just de described the basic 4-4 beat of any band that's ever lived, ever. And I feel like Zach's heard that and then he's just doing his own... Like, he have fills and like triplets of like any drum he wants and he'll just like keep things fresh and like very um energetic without it going too fast paced because there's nowhere near a hardcore um, album they definitely it's a mature sound without getting softer but without getting heavy at the same time which is a weird thing um but you've got like the scordant riff with, like a really edgy sort of guitar tone you've got like indie rock influences and like me little melodies here and there with kids and scorpion hill and I feel like everything that Morbid Stuff does and what each member does, it keeps it retaining like an underdog sort of like DIY fill. And it doesn't, it helps as well that they form their own uh, record label, their Little Dipper. Morbid Stuff is just super fun. Whereas like Death is Warm Blanket will hype you up and get you ready for the day. Morbid Stuff in like, again, no pun intended, a very morbid kind of way will just cheer you up because it is, it's very emo. It's not an emo album at all, but it's very emo in the case of very dark and crude um, subject matter in its lyrics. But the way it's delivered and the way the music is, it's very, very upbeat and poppy. Not poppy, but you know what I mean. Just boisterous. And it is just a wonderful album. It is my 2019 album of the year. It's number 18 of my albums of the decade. It is the third album from Pulp. I'll always love them because they were the very, 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 very first band I ever saw live. And I will forever remember... Hey, where's that guy? I will forever remember the time where they did play here. I went to watch them live and some guy who was a little bit drunk just shouted Canada at them and they weren't quite sure what to do apart from say, yay, hockey and maple syrup. Wonderful times. Good times. Uh, okay. Different end of like lyrical subject matter now. We're gonna go to number my number seventeen, which is the eighth album. I cannot believe it's album number eight for the fucking hell. Um, it is Holy Hell by Architects, the Brighton-based uh, progressive metalcore band. So, I feel like everyone who's into alternative music by now will know the story of Holy Hell. It came, I think, less than two years since the passing of their guitarist and their main songwriter Tom Searle. Um, he unfortunately passed away from after a battle of cancer. And when you get that, because his brother Dan is in the album is on in the band, sorry, he's the drummer. He is um like obviously they're all very close knit bunch of friends. They've been pretty much this core group for the majority of the band's existence. You've got an actual family member in the band with them. It would not have been uncommon or unheard of or just unwelcome if they came out and said, you know what, we don't want to do this anymore. We out. Architect is no more. And I don't think there would have been anyone at all who would have been angry, upset by that decision. Obviously, it's always going to be their decision. 
and it would have been a very understood decision, I guess, of what I'm trying to say. Because who was who any of us to say, like, no, you got to carry on, in spite of the fact that this member has died? And to come back with... I said it with the Nick Cave album, the end of the year list. I said it kind of about the Aaron West album. Um, Frank Carter as well. Writing the music through absolute emotional agony and grief like that is just something I cannot fathom. I cannot work out in my head how people can drive themselves through it. I get the whole idea of throwing yourself into work. You know, I'll freely admit when, it, when I'm having a really shit day, I will just throw myself into work and try to ignore everything. But that's the thing. I'll ignore everything. I won't try and like open up and I certainly wouldn't do this level of extreme where um, everyone for the album, particularly Sam Carter, is writing down their feelings on a bit of paper and then singing them and then letting the whole world know how they felt. It is just a complete unknown commodity to me how people can do that. And I think in Holy Hell, like actual songs, they have, again, they could have easily gone quite a sappy route and dwelled on it a little bit. But I think they've done something which they thought uh, Tom would put his mind to because at the end of the day they are a metalcore band and so they carried on being a metalcore band they've got like the big expansive songs like Doomsday, Hereafter and that sort of thing you've got like the fucking thrashy um, I keep annoying my friends because I keep saying it sounds like Blackwell Brides but Seventh Circle it is like if you take out the context of Tom and his passing you would easily recognise that this is just an Architects album doing Architects things. Although the subject matter and like the, the lyrics are very on the nose and very much referencing to Tom. You just look at the music, it's like it's just a metalcore band doing metalcore things and it's, it's a good, fucking brilliant metalcore at that. The one thing I really, really enjoyed was the fact that Josh Middleton of Silos has came in he obviously did the guitar parts. He helped with production on the album as well. He's done a fucking great job on production. They didn't just let him... They didn't just give him some notes and say, go play that. They didn't just um, have him as a producer and then have him as a, like a, a standby player. He is a really active member of the band. I didn't make... I, for this time, when I re uh, reviewed it a year or so ago, I did note down bits that I meant... I noticed but there are riffs and there are elements on this band particularly on like Seventh Circle I think I do remember that one I think the other one was Royal Beggars although I can't I can't remember what's on my head but there's riffs and there's little licks here and there which are very if you listen to Silosis and how like, like that melodic death kind of riffage he's bringing a lot of that into the band like so he's not just standing by and playing what he's told he is actively contributing to the songwriting um, ethos which I thought was really, really good because there's been a lot of bands like who have brought in a new member or a temp member and just said, can you just fill these parts in or can you just sound like... like I think the most obvious one for me for that is when The Rev passed away and Mark, Mark Mike Portnoy uh, filled in for him on Nightmare by Avenged Sevenfold. And the playing was very Rev-like. like The drum parts were very Rev-like. Whereas, you know, Portnoy is a very technical, very jazz-influenced drummer. Josh has brought that, like, mellow death influence and that thrash metal influence that he's, like, 
brought with Silosis all the years, and now he's put it into Holy Hell. And I thought that was like a really, really good touch to show that he is actually not just, again, not just a spare part, but he's a friend and he's an active member of Architects now. And I think Sam has the kind of shouts that people crave for and are hugely inspired by already. I know they're like eight albums in, but you think about how long they've been a big band. It's quite short in comparison to other bands who are getting influenced, well, passing on influences. Um, but I was hanging out with, not to, not to name drop, but I was hanging out with the guitarist from Deliverer, uh, local metal band. And he was saying that how the songwriting they're doing for their upcoming releases, it is very much, they look at Sam as a way of being able to blend a clean vocal, which is a clean and has personality because you can kind of hear Sam's accent in it with a scream, which again, carries the personality of the accent while still maintaining like actual discernibility between words and notes and vocal and just parts of word and lettering. So you've got like the, obviously the, a lot of deathcore and quite a few me uh, metalcore vocalists who just scream and it just sounds like white noise. Whereas with Sam, you can hear into each individual thing he says. Similar with the, he showed me Error um, as well. And the third vocalist and current vocalist on them, or with them, sorry, exactly the same. I'd never heard from him before. They played me a few songs. Like, I can kind of make out what he's saying based on the first listen off a phone speaker. And that's the kind of thing that Sam can bring. That's the sort of thing he's inspiring other harsh vocalists, up and coming harsh vocalists to do. And yeah, it's just a phenomenal album. It's got this huge atmospheric wall of sound, which doesn't, it doesn't go straight too far into post-rock, doesn't stray too far into symphonic rock. It is just adding a whole new dynamic to the band's sound. Um, that they built on over album to album to album to album and it's just a fucking wonderful final product and I feel like this is the first like mildly controversial one because I haven't picked All Our Cows Have Abandoned Us I'm fully aware that with the context of Tom I probably listen to this album more than I listen to All Our Gods and All Our Gods is a very very good album but I found myself really I went back to this a lot more. As a whole album, I enjoyed this more. Like I'd say the song Nihilist is probably better than most of Holy Hell. But as a whole structure for me, I just prefer Holy Hell to All Our Gods. I feel like if I went back and listened to All Our Gods more, because I think of all the Arctic's albums, I tend to listen to them as albums, pick up the songs I want and then move on. And... I think if I went back to All Our Gods, I probably would start seeing... Well, I already see why people prefer it, but I would maybe start jostling my own opinion about whether or not I prefer All Our Gods or Holy Hell. But for now, in the context of writing, and because I need to put that down and answer, um, I've gone with Holy Hell. And here's my number 17, Albums of the Decade, by Architects. Album number 8, I cannot believe that. They only seem like they've been going here for a few years, but the more I think about it, yeah, I remember hearing about it for the first time on the here and now and everyone lost their fucking minds right then moving on then moving on I was going to say moving on on then that doesn't sound right though I'm just going to carry on number 16 is The Damn Things with Ironoclast <clears throat> I think that's how you pronounce that um, it came out in 2000 
10 is the first is the, is the earliest album I have for you mm, I think so uh, yeah earliest album I have uh, came out in 2010 I only listened to this album uh, last year year before something like that I think it might be like only last year and it is just fucking brilliant uh, the Damn Things are a supergroup featuring members of Fall Out Boy, Anthrax, Every Time I Die, Now, well, no, he's left the band. Uh, now it's um, Alkaline Trio in there as well. <coughs> Excuse me, speaking chair's back. And yeah, I, it's just fucking wonderful. It angers me it's not on Spotify, which I'll get to a little bit more. Um, the actual musical style of it is very classic hard rock riffs think of like motorhead or thin lizzy um played with like a heavy metal tone and aggression with huge pop choruses and they are absolutely pop choruses they're fucking insane um it's just overall upbeat i call it bop rock because yeah, yeah you know every song of this could be in the lead single every song on this album could be a a hit should lead the album it should be the second album as well which again i get onto um it's again one of those albums where on paper it's hard to describe what's brilliant about because the whole coming together of a weird combination of musicians like you've got joe and andy from fallout boy mixed with the lead vocalist 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 from Every Time I Die with the rhythm section of half of, sorry, no, one one quarter of Anthrax. You know, on paper, that should just be an absolute mess, but they come out, Keith Buckley on this album is just insane. He's so fucking brilliant, and I wasn't familiar with um, Every Time I Die when they came out. I became more aware of them over the years and like listened to them a little bit. When I went back to listen to Ironoclast and realised that it was that guy who was previously screaming his lungs out who is now singing like the huge um oh, what's the band I can't remember what compared to, but like the huge pop rock influenced um choruses on like Handbook of the Recent Deceased. Um you've got ha um, Bad Blood with like little claps or clickers that go in between uh vocals and the chorus. Lead singer, you got. Um, we've got a situation here. It's f the, what he can do, and like the big, powerful vocals. You, I, even now, whilst knowing the context of every time I die, every time I die, and the one song of the damn things that I knew pri previously, which was we got a situation. It baffles me that it's the same dude. It's fucking unreal that it's the same dude. I think this album is just wall to wall. A complete collection of massive fucking rock songs and I am so pissed off there's gonna be another album later which also deals with this but I'm so pissed off it's not on Spotify and I've got to deal with High, um, High Crimes as well I the whole reason I listened to it was because High Crimes was coming out I listened to Cells and I thought it was a really cool song um, and I can't remember if something good came out the same as well or like as a standalone single or if that just came out as part of the album but either way I remember High Crimes announcing coming out and the podcast I was listening to was super excited about it coming out 
and I thought, fuck, I should probably like listen to why everyone gets so excited about high crimes. Iron Class is fucking wonderful. I then listened to High Crimes and I remember reviewing it really badly. It's warmed on me since. But it's just, it doesn't even come close to Iron Class. And I know with High Crimes, it hasn't got uh, Rob Caggiano. And it's got, it hasn't got Josh Newton, who hasn't even had a uh, written credit on this album anyways. But it's just, it's not... Who did they bring us? Joe Andriano? Dan Andriano from Outline Trio. But the core band, like Keith, Scott, Joe, and Andy, they're still there. So it's not a massive variation in lineup and like artistic creativity. And I think if I'm right in thinking, it all stemmed from Scott, Ian, and Joe working together, anyways. And yeah, High Crimes doesn't do for me. I take Iron Class any day of the week. I need to get it on. CD or something just so I can listen to it more often because having to do it, delve into YouTube and weird streams like that it's uh, just I need this album back in my life more it's a fucking wonderful album it is the debut album from the damn things the weird mishmash uh, supergroup came out in 2010 and it's called Ironoclast and I am already 40 minutes into this and I'm only at number 15 oh lord we're gonna be here a while I have work at six. Let's hope I make it. Uh, number 15, then. Oh, is the one I feel really sad about. Uh, number 15 is the self-titled debut and final album from Zoaks. Z-O-A-X. Uh, they, they were formed in London with a Northern Irish uh, frontman. And it is a goddamn motherfucking tragedy that they split. It is a tragedy. It is a travesty. Because I've written down travesty and I was really proud of that word. And it's just fucking bullshit that they split up, actually, because for reasons I'll get onto. But this is a brilliantly interesting hardcore, post-hardcore album. Um, it is a fairly unique blend of like really short, punchy riffs. It's got a healthy mix of clean vocals and like a rough, gruff kind of shout. Non-standardized, very complicated song structure without falling into the, the math rock or tech rock. Or tech metal categories. Excuse me. Um, everything, everything that each and every member of this band tried to do on this album is pure fucking gold. They excel at everything they attempt. Bad Blood opens the album. It is the bold and brash, more hardcore number, and it's up there with the likes of KSYCHIA, which I used to remember what that stood for, cannot remember. Devil Dance, you've got like the searing sort of heights of Fly High and King and Queen that's has, what's his name? Adam Carroll, fucking glorious vocalist and he hits the high notes on there so brilliantly well and while still retaining that like big post-hardcore push that I was talking about and then it's the expansive alt-rock as well in the same album on things like Roses All The Way, Good Times, Mirrors, Good Times is such a pop rock banger um think of how marmosets and let live now let live used to do it um where they combined like the hardcore edginess but with like alt rock songwriting that made it like a more commercial and more easy on the listen easy on the ear listen and then to f finish off like the album sound you've got like ambient like 
post-rock tinge, like half ballads, like The Wave and the last song, which is, I think it's pronounced Salon, it's an old Irish word. Um, and even with all that context saying like, oh, it's big, broad and hardcore, it's like really sappy post-rock, or it's like really, really interesting alt-rock. Um, alt Listening to it for the first time, the first few times actually, it's so hard to figure out and track what they're going to do next, because the way... The way like Jamie, um, Jamie Lenman or Let Live or bands of that ilk like to really shuffle what they do with music. That's what Zokes do and that's what Zokes did so brilliantly well. And it really, really fucks me off that I think the band as a whole lasted maybe three years, four years, and then they split up. And I don't understand why because the time this came out it wasn't as if this wasn't a prominent time in music. So this album came out in 2016, right? And it was after the days of like The Defiled, Feed the Rhino, Exit 10, uh, Black Spiders, even Charybdis, who out of those bands, Charybdis are the only ones still going. Shut up, computer. Um, it came two years after the debut Mumsette's album. It came a year after the debut Frank Hartman next album, a year after Brainwashed by While She Sleeps. It was the same year as the debut Milk Teeth album, Statues by Black Peaks, All Our Gods Have Abandoned Us, the debut Venom Prism album. It was a year away from Creeper, from Jamie Lenman, uh, with Devolver, um, Forever by Code Orange. This was the first time in years where music, alternative music, was getting such a push from a little bit from labels and execs and all those sort of like corporate twats. But moreover, it was a f like the biggest time in years where fans were getting behind it and that they were going to shows, they were paying for hours, they were buying merch. And somehow in amongst it all, we lost one of Britain's like, potentially one of the best new hardcore bands, the best new bands we had in ages. It came out on Century Media. It's a big label for this. And I don't, and the only thing I can think of is maybe, like, it was a more personal thing between members and, you know, what? That's if that's what caused the breakup, fair fucks. No one can like each other all the time, but if it was a monetary thing, like, why the fuck did we let Zokes go? They were so fucking brilliant. And, God, I wish I knew about this album more when it came out, because I think it took me a year to really get on board with it. Um... And yeah, it's just, ah, uh, it's just fucking... Now it's too little to like obs, but... God damn, this album was great. It's really, really intelligent, really, really... Just thoughtful, post-hardcore, with the blends of everything I said before, the alt-rock. Um, the really, like, punk rock sort of stuff. It's fucking wonderful. Beautiful. And it's heartbreaking that we probably never talk about Zook's album ever again. So I'm just gonna listen to this until it just like my CD breaks. So which is also pretty fun. That was number fifteen. It was a self-titled debut album and last album from the band Zokes. I encourage you all to go out and look for it. It's spelled Z O A X. On to then me. On to my number fourteen. It is the fourth album from Lansdale, Pennsylvania. Mob. Uh, I need to find a new other than the Mob. It's called The Greatest Generation. The band are, of course, The Wonder Years. The album came out in 2013. And The Wonder Years are, to me, 
a super special band because they were the out. They were the band who got me reintroduced to emo. When I listened to this album, I think I listened to it the year or year or two after it came out. I think in the lead up to um, No Room for Heaven, No Room in Heaven, fucking mouse, No Close to the Heaven. There you go. Um, yeah, so I listened to this in the run up to that because I saw everyone going nuts about this band called the one the years who are labeled emo I was like emo is still a dirty word because it represents all like the really tweed pop punk stuff from the mid noughties so you panic at the disco you fall out boy um fucking blackout if you want to throw them in there as well um less so Mike M because I think Mike M actually had a bit of crunch to him um but any out any band that got labeled with that emo label in mid um mid noughties it you for me it was a sign that maybe don't listen to them because it's probably going to be shit and so every time i heard about the one the years like this really great emo band i was like not for me i listen to metal with my barely hairy chest and my not there beard ho-hum metal man for me and i don't know what it was i don't know what it was that finally made me think maybe i should give them a go but i listened to passing through a screen door and it was not life check well I listen to a lot more emo now I listen to a lot of emo now because of this album so yeah it was kind of life changing because it was so A musically it went hard it was very I know it gets labelled like pop punk it's the good side of pop punk it is punk rock played with a pop sensibility and a pop catchiness and songwriting ability to it as opposed to just that tweet shit that Blink-182 started. Lyrically, it's crushing and now, like, it, like the whole album I'll get into, but just so, that song alone, Pass Through the Screen Door, it's felt more and more relatable as I've gotten older. I'm one year away from being able to sing um, Jesus Christ on 26, all the people that I've um, grown up with or graduated with, all have kids or have wives, um, all have people who care about us, they come home at night, Jesus Christ, did I fuck up? Like, I'm one year yet away from that, and I'm just going to play that on loop forever whilst crying into a corner, I'm going to have a great time doing it. The album itself, as I've grown up with it, and I've listened to it more and more and more, it is a journey into the cruel adulthood that, again, the whole thing has felt more relatable. I can't say I've had every single experience this album has had, but you know, I'm letting go. You know, we can't keep out of trouble. I thought my kids would call you uncle. I thought we'd never be alone. Like the out that uh, song is. Oh fuck! Why didn't I write it down? I think it was um, either Devil in My um, Bloodstream or We Could Die Like This. I'm so shit with remembering um, song titles. Um, and like the whole context of that song is he had to cut out a friend because they were letting drugs overcome their lives and so far I haven't had a friend to get way too into the world of drugs but for me because moving around a lot and having to the amount of times I've said are we going to keep in friends fucking yeah totally bro we've got Facebook for that now and I haven't spoken to anyone from where I've moved away from because people just grow up and they grow up without you and just like, although I can't relate to the whole parts of albums or even the whole parts of songs, 
there's choruses and there's lyrics and there's verses that I listen to and I hear the words and I'm like, my fucking God. It's the Menzinger's effect where you think, he's writing this for me. This is my album. He's met me somehow and I haven't realised and he has written this album for me. And then you get to a show and you realise, holy shit, all these people thought the exact fucking same. Um, what's the other one that had that? The Fire in Me must have died a long time ago. I must have been watching this ghost just going through the motion she's putting on her face. Like, we all had dreams and aspirations and all that other dumb shit when we were growing up. But now I have a, a job in retail or hospitality, whatever you want to call it. And it is now just going through the motions, just doing what you have, what needs to be done to pay bills and that sort of thing. And when I was a kid, I thought I was going to be a rock star or I was going to be any number of really dumb, like, dream careers. And, yeah, I have to listen to middle-aged Karen's call me a tosser because of, like, charging them money. How dare I? And that's what made this album such, like, a cornerstone of emo and why it's where it is in my um, end of decade list because again it's just super relatable stuff and what I love most is that the music juxtaposes it like I said it's the version of pop punk which is just so punky and like very in your face and super upbeat as well and that if you separate them you think you've got Lyrically, it's an album full of ballads. Excuse me. And musically, it's, you know, Circle Pits in a um, house show. Excuse me, I'm dying again. Ugh. Um, yeah, One the Years. Brilliant, brilliant uh, band. Super Campbell. He can get more emotion out of his voice than most bands can out of an entire lineup. It's so fucking good. I know my go-to example for him is always um, Palm Reader on No Closer to Heaven where every time I listen to that album or every time I listen to that song, sorry, I always think he's about to burst out in tears and then listen to all the Aaron West stuff and going more into the one of the years, you know, No Closer to Heaven, Sister Cities, that kind of shit. He's just so good. It's so fucking unfair that more people, he's not a household name. Eyes Wonderful. Wonder Years are a brilliant band. The Greatest Generation is one of the best emo albums of all time. I say one of the best because things are coming up soon. Um, but yeah, so that's the number 14. The Wonder Years with The Greatest Generation it came out in 2013. It's their fourth album. They're fucking great. Oh, running out of breath. Fucking hell, I'm looking halfway through. Uh, number 13 then is the debut album, and so far the only album, from Times of Grace. Uh, the album was called The Hymn of a Broken Man. It came out in 2011, and the band was formed in Southampton, Massachusetts, because we can't have anything, of the UK can't have everything by ourselves. Um, and at the time, it was a collaborative project between the former vocalist of Killswitch Engage and the current songwriter and guitarist of Killswitch Engage, um, Jesse Leach and Adam Blutkowitz, uh, respectively. And so this album and this project was the first time, well, my first exposure to post-rock being used within heavy music. 
Um, it's something that nowadays I'm very big fan of. Um, I spend a lot of time traveling through interesting post black metal stuff and post hardcore that uses it and just in general bands who use post rock with another style just see like because it can be such like a create creative um hub that they can create for themselves by introducing post rock into various other genres and like looking back i think that's what made me fall in love with this album a lot because it, to me at the time it was something that's completely unheard of because they're blending post-rock with the really riffy style of melodic metalcore that I knew of from Killswitch and I was never like I've still I'm not the biggest Killswitch fan um, they're a great sits band for me so you've got like My Curse Rosa Sharon um, My Last Serenade I listened to a bit of the Sound of Descent and I listened to What's the album called? I remember reviewing it. Yeah. That's Signifier in it. Talk amongst yourself. Because it's right on the tip of my tongue. Atonement! There you go. I didn't have to Google it at all. I thought of it all by myself. Um, yeah, I listened to Atonement. It was very okay. It was just very, very okay. Signifier was a pretty cool song. It's really cool to see Jesse and Howard on a song together. But I just... I think that, like the whole buzz with Killswitch, I think has definitely passed me by. So I was always a casual fan. So having that level of songwriting with post rock is probably the exact same experience people got listening to um, the end of Heartley for the first time. And you know that's generational differences, I guess. The post rock elements that come into it, it makes it a very emotional album. Um, Jesse Leach is another man who can make his voice. A whole instrument the sort of uh, notes you can hear on songs like willing and the um, hope remains and especially him of a broken man which is the um, big ballad in the album it feels quite a don't say isolated that's the wrong word at all i can't think of a proper word but No, I can't think of what it is. But it's just it's very low key, which isn't what I'm trying to, the word I'm trying to think of, but it's just him obviously singing leads, you've got Adam on backup and it's just a um acoustic guitar and like some swelling synths as well. It's a very beautiful song and again you can hear a lot of um, Jesse's like accent come through. And I've come to realize i really enjoy hearing that because it does add a bit more character to a song to an album um like the big lyric before the final chorus like do i care do i carry hope for the hopeless and that lord like almost lisp he gets at the end of hopeless i don't know why but it just always resonates with me like something that i always hear and i think that is just because it adds a bit of character adds a bit of personality to the album and again it might just be exactly what everyone realized or everyone saw on end of heartache or whatever the big it was end of heartache that jesse did wasn't it oh yeah i've got a really clicky keyboard now so i apologize if you keep hearing it 
Uh, oh, he did Alive with Just Breathing, my mistake. Um, everything I said then, talk about um, Alive with Just Breathing. And yeah, I. it might just be a case of I missed a boat with Kill Switch and got everything I needed from uh, Times of Grace, but this is, it's a fantastic blend of styles. There have been rumblings that they are bringing a second album in, which is going to be weird considering Jesse is back with Killswitch. I'm worried it might become too much of a Killswitch Engage kind of sound, but from what I've read and what I've heard about both Jesse and Adam, they are apparently very, very good at separating um, musical genres and musical styles from one project to another. So I'm very, very excited about a sequel to Him of a Broken Man. Um, it's one of the first, definitely the first album I can remember. It might be one of the first albums outside of post-black metal that really combined a metal style with post-rock so if you've liked what other bands have done i know like it's really big it's getting really big in gen um melodic hardcore tried as well if you're going for any of that give the hero of broken man a go if you haven't already because it is sensational um it came out in 2011 the album is called again the hero of broken man it was by times of grace and yeah, I would, I would, I would rather enjoy a sequel because it's fucking brilliant. On to number twelve, then the the run now, which is gonna be fucking sweet. Uh, number twelve is from twenty seventeen. It is an album I only listened to for the first time last year, and it was so good I still haven't stopped listening to it, and that's why it's bolted straight up. I'm quite sad it's not a top ten album. Um, it is the fifth album from the Scranton, Pennsylvania based quartet, uh, The Menzingers. I, Spotify has happily told me that my find of either the year or find of the decade has been The Menzingers, and I 100% agree with it because. Oh my god. Oh my, oh my fucking god. The Menzingers are a fucking wonderful album. And I think I said a little bit when I was reviewing Hello Exile for uh, the end of year list. Looking back at their back catalogue, and I recognise so many album covers, and it almost angers me the fact that I have missed so much musically. And like, as a chance for everything I felt about Hello Exile, everything I felt about After the Party, I could have felt that three more times over or four more times over with the Menzingers back catalogue. And I've made mention. I've listened to. Um, the Riot Act podcast a lot, and both Stephen and Renfrey have a favourite Menzingers album, and neither of them are a they're not the same as each other. B neither of them are Hello Exile or After the Party, so like that's already two more Menzingers albums that are like top tier, and then you've got two others that are like building the um, foundations of what Menzingers are now. So I've got I cannot wait to go back. After the Party is such a collection of fucking brilliant music and fucking brilliant songs, like just throughout, just on first glance, Telling Lies, Midwestern States, Charlie's Army, Bad Catholics, um, After the Party. There, there's just fucking bangers everywhere. And everything I said about the Wonder Years, more, more than absolutely carries on to the Menzingers. In fact, I think Menzingers might even do it even better having the very everyday ordinary scenarios happen in a, and they sing it to you in a way where it makes you feel like you're the only one who's ever felt like this you're the only one who's ever experienced this um, 
like with passing through a screen door, I've already said like next year when I'm 26 and all the people I've grown up with all are super successful, which most of them are either pregnant, married, or have houses, bought houses. It's fucking weird. I'm going to be rolling on the floor listening to that um, song. Maybe even just that um, bridge until I'm 27. When I hit 30, bet your fucking ass cheeks I'm going to be listening to Telling Lies and just the part, the chorus where it says, what we're going to do now that our 30, 20s are over. Over and over and over again. And then, yeah, just the whole, it's relatable. Like, Charlie's Army is a massive fucking song that's all about running into your girlfriend's ex-boyfriend. It's simple shit, but he's made it sound so fuck. It's, it's made it sound kind of cool. Um, Bad Catholics is all about him and an ex-girlfriend um, being, being Catholics and doing non-Catholic-y things like falling in love. How dare you? And now all these years later, um, he kind of still carries a flame. And she's like, oh yeah, but here's my new husband. And we're all very religious now. I'm like, fucking... Okay, it hasn't happened to me. But it's such a real world scenario where it 100% could. And that's, the, again, the beauty of like modern emo that I'm finding out. That it's not just, woe is me, the girl I like isn't with me anymore. It's a case of... You could easily... Like, it was a hard times joke where... The like members of Menzingers saw someone smoking a cigarette and they wrote a whole album about it. That's not too dissimilar to what emo is doing. You could literally just go through a shop and like forget your club card, and I'm pretty sure someone somewhere has written a, at least a song about being like annoyed that you've left all your points card at home and you look like a twat. It's just fucking odd. This new wave of emo is well, I'll say new wave, it's been going for quite a while now, but it's new for me. It's fucking outstanding and the Menzingers quite possibly might be the best ones going at the moment you've got Spanish Love Songs with a new album coming up soon and that might it might test Hello XR but it's going to be something very very special to touch after the party it is heartfelt Americana it gets a lot of comparisons to Springsteen which I cannot relate to because I can't say I've ever listened to Springsteen outside of more than USA or any other big ones that he's done um, but it's heartfelt Americana played by punks who know what feelings are and fucking oh it's brilliant and I'm not usually one for like the big emotional music or the big feeling stuff but I'll happily happily listen to Mendigas every day if I have to in order to find out what feelings are it is my album number 12 of albums of the decade almost said you um, it is the fifth album from the Mendigas it is called After the Party it's just so fucking good. Everything, I've just realised, yeah, everything now is so fucking good. So expect that phrase to pop up a lot. Next then, my number 11. Of, you know, over an hour in. Over an hour in, I've already hit number 11. The album is called Lies. It is by Spycatcher, a frustratingly low-key alt-rock band out of Watford. This was their second album and it came out in 2014. The, I found um, Spycatcher because their first album, Honesty, which came out in 2011, features the bassist of Gallows, Stu Ross. I believe he does drum parts for it. I think he manages the band as well, or act as producer or something. Excuse me. Basically, he had a big part in the making of the first album, and I think he had like a backstage role for Lies. 
And the first album, I reviewed it last year when I was doing like a Gallo special, and that was the first time I listened to it in full. I'd only heard like bits and bobs here and there, and it was a very good album. Does not fucking touch lies. It is a fucking great album. It is huge, searing alt rock. It's got little bits of um, post hardcore. It's got little bits of emo and indie in there. A lot of indie actually. Um, and like you, the whole like album structure is quite odd. You've got peroxide, which is like this um, big punchy alt rock thing, and then exactly, it's this really beautiful um, indie pop ballad. And then clapped out goes back to a quite an upbeat, almost pop punk kind of sound. Stay the same has an incredible vocal performance by one of my favourite vocalists of all time now. Uh, Steve Sears, he's also he was a, a guitarist in Cry for Silence, which was a looking back, kind of cringy metalcore band. Um, he's also in Gold Key, and I, I am so sure he's in the hell. Just so sure, but I've got nothing to prove it. Um, ah, it's just his voice. His fucking voice. It's so brilliant. I love it. I can't say... There's nothing in particular. I can't pinpoint, like... I'm not a vocal coach. I don't know, like, oh, you can hit this note. It's just... He can hit the big notes. That's, that's the dumb version of it. He can hit those really big aggro notes he's got he can put like a little bit of like gruff on it to make it really really impactful he can keep it completely clean he can hit like the really high dainty notes almost like space rock kind of stuff um he can hit like the really soft melancholy notes especially like uh listen to it exactly and it's all like quite low-key the album of uh, the song sorry and it's just him going up and down octaves as if they're fucking no man's business I love him as a vocalist. I want him with more albums. I think the Golki album, like a Golki um, sophomore album, is in the works now, and I cannot wait because it's going to mean I get to listen to Steve Sears more, which is a really creepy thing to say, and I'm sorry, but oh my fucking God, is he a great vocalist. The way he can, again, like, exactly, very, very soft, delicate peroxide. It's, again... A lot more punching can hit notes with the guitar toe or with the guitar wrist. Sorry, um, clapped out because a little bit more punk rock, and it stays the same as might have been the previous album then, but um, although it stayed the same, it's right there. Ugh. That is just such a big aggro. It's got a pop punk back into it, and he just he just shouts it all the way through without it ever going too extreme if that makes sense listen to the song you'll realize what i'm on about um and as a whole when you get to a song like you are just a bit rubbish that like british charm that like even i feel like if an american band tried to get away with that just putting that oh you're just a bit terrible or you're just a bit rubbish it wouldn't work but like the cheek and like the wink to the audience level of spy capture for a song like you are just a bit rubbish which is quite like yeah it's, it's a really searing kind of chorus and like quite floaty and space rocky oh man this album fucking slams it's really hard to get past the first whole song because 
if the first four songs were an EP, it'd be like the release of the of the decade. Um, just nothing but there's nothing but no, all fucking wonderful songs, and like even when you get to, like, I don't think it stops really dipping until you get to seven, um, track seven, which is everything, and then you get to all this pressure, and it pops back up again. It's wondrous this album. I fucking love it. I'm very, very. I don't think I'll ever get a Spy Cat drama ever again. There's a three-year gap between Honesty and Lies, and it's been super quiet on all their socials ever since. So yeah, I don't think I'll ever get a Spy Cat drama again. But I guess a new Gold Key album will do just nicely. But that is number eleven. It is Lies. It's spelled how you would spell it. But there's a space between each letter. But I think if you put Spy Cat to Lies, it would fucking come up eventually. Um, yes, fucking wonderful album, and it's my number 11. We're in top 10 country people. Um, I probably won't rabble on, because all these albums are the amateur reviewers mindset that I'm trying to put on um, for wherever this goes. I think it's going to leave me a lot, because I'm just going to get to an album and be like, oh my god, it's fucking great, it's so fucking good. And I'm sorry, if you want critical analysis, go to Dead Press or Melhammer, or I would say already heard, but they closed down, but go to anywhere, Metacritic, go to Metacritic, no, don't go to Metacritic, go to Dead Press or Melhammer. Um, if you just want good music and a weird man salivating over it, stick around. Number 10 then, hails all the way, is this? Okay, so this is one of three albums not British because Britain, um, even though a lot of that, not allowed to do that anymore. No, wait, no four. Never mind. Not supporting anymore. Um, hailing all the way from Norway, uh, a place called Notterden. I probably haven't pronounced that right. It is album number five from Leprous. The album's called Melina. Came out in 2017. Uh, the album Pitfalls was number three in my end of year list last year. And I mentioned then that as a whole, prog rock is not. 100% not the genre for me. I hate the like whittling music and showing up how good you are and how many grades you learned at school. Um, the whole thing just does not interest me. It's why I could never get into bands like Dream Theater or Rush or um, uh, King Crimson. Or was it YYZ? That was the song. XYZ. There was a weird band with just letters. Um, that's most words, never mind. Yeah, I could never get into it. I just found it really it's just really really dull um, and I heard about Leprous was basically the backing band of a gentleman called Ishan who used to be the front man of Emperor a very very prominent black metal band and thinking like ah, I had no everyone was talking about them at the time because I think Ishan was on the back of Arctis which is a brilliant album so I was like well everyone keeps going about Ishan he wouldn't pick just any old pleb so it must be someone decent so I had a look into Leprous. I got a few songs from, I can't remember what the third album's called. Got a few songs off Congregation and they were brilliant. Uh, Cole was the other one, a couple of songs from there, also very good. Got Malina and it just changed the fucking game. Uh, the last proper, proper prog album before Pitfalls was experimenting with um, electronica and pop and various other things and um, orchestral music. Melina is very much a straightforward prog rock and prog metal album. The only time it really deviates away from that is on the song Stuck. It becomes 
it's got like a bit more of a hard rock sort of crunch to it. Um, but Melina is a fucking wonderful album. Even as far as like, you've got the title track Melina, which is a very um, floaty kind of song. I think it's, if I remember right, it's very much on par with Skies, Red and Pitfalls. Um, From the Flame has this like, the way it builds um, Einar's vocals with like the layering books. So like, it starts off with just Einar and then everyone comes in and there's a big crash of music that really comes in after the um, lyrics being said. And then you've got Einar who can hit those like falsetto notes. I think they're falsetto. Every time I think of falsetto, I think of King Diamond, which is a bit too far from what Einar can do, but he, that kind of thing where he goes, except in key and really good sounding because Einar is a, oh, it's so good. Sorry, had a moment. Um, yeah, Melina is a. I, I can't put my finger on what it is that this particular brand of prog rock and this particular brand of progressive uh, metal, just this particular brand of progressive music, is so much more interesting than anything else I can really think of. It is captivating. It keeps you vested. You have an interest in what's going to come next. It, it, and it is technical, it's not easy music. But it's not boring for that same reason. It is um, everything to feel like it has a purpose. It's there to showcase what the members can do and what they, not even what they can do, just what they choose not to do. And I think I think a part of what it is is just the drama that they can bring in, and a lot of it is through Iron and his vocals. But on Mirage? No. Maybe Mirage. Yeah, I think it was Mirage. The, um, you've got Einar with like the big vocal parts, which he's very, very good at doing. And then you've just got the, like the rest of the band, and like Einar especially does play guitar. The music behind it, and I've really just realised they've got the same uh, cellist from uh, Pitfalls, um, Raphael Vinerock Brown. So there is like that very, very slight symphonic element to it, but just like the drama and the excitement they build in from the music. And like, it is very, very classical music in the case of when something big is happening. Because obviously classical music and like um, opera, not so opera, but just straight up classical music, you don't really have the vocals to go along with it. So if something exciting something, you've got like the big crescendos and that kind of thing. That's what musically leprous do and they even like do on Pitbulls as well so that's what I'll say they'll continue to do um, they are very classic music classically classic musically inspired in that sense and it I think that might be what it is but because well working around films I'll say um, you hear a lot of film music and still to this day does that where like the big thing happens and you just got this big um, peak music and it's always exciting that's why like, people gravitate towards films a lot more and you know leprous have that similar effect where you got the big music part and that adds to the drama adds to the tale and it adds to like the ambiance of the album and it's just oh my god it's great and again maybe that is what it is about this particular brand of um, prog music that 
brings me in. But just the songwriting and like the overall build that these guys make while still making it, still showing off how really talented they all are and while still being super catchy and, you know, very interesting to listen to, I fucking love Leprous and I will always, pretty much always follow them. As long as they don't do a Shining, the Norwegian one, and make a very, very poppy album, which was diabolical. I'll always follow that first. They're fucking brilliant. It was my number 10 album of the year. I think the year it came out, it was a top 10. I think it was top 5. Um, it'd be quite fun. And yes, very, very, very good prog music. If you like it, any music with any sort of technicality, Listen to Melina. Uh, listen to Leprous in general because they all do it better. I promise you, they'll just do it better. Moving on then to number nine. It's really hard to talk about prog music. Fucking hell, I suck. Uh, moving on to number nine then. It is an album, well, it's a band who have just caused nothing but controversy since it became a thing. People rightfully shitted on the debut. The follow up and then the follow up follow up were. You slowly saw people go from hounding the band to very begrudgingly admitting that they are one of the best going, or very, very good. And I think back then one of the best going might have been a bit of a stretch, but just doing things that no other band in their world were doing. And then you get to the album four, which is this one I've got, and then finally accepting that you know what, these are very very good musicians a very very good band who are exploring things outside of their traditional realm and making it work fucking brilliantly and it is Bring the Horizon with Simp Eternal it is a fourth album from the Shepherd Lot they ca it came out in 2013 and yeah with I can't remember what the name of the album's called now I can see it I can see it in my head. What are you called? Count Your Blessings. There we go. With Count Your Blessings, it is a fucking... It's not a very good album at all, is it? It's very, very not good. And... You know, that it was... It came out of a part of a time of music where people were very much shunning that kind of style already before it had a chance to gain um, traction. And then... Suicide Season came out and it was a big improvement from the band. Ollie completely changed his vocal performance and people were still shitting on it because they had silly haircuts and vests and all this crap. Then There Is A Hill came out. There Is A Hell is a fucking great album. It's really, really hard to choose between that and Sempaternal. And then people were starting to like, more and more people were starting to go, And interesting. I think I got into them. Um, first song of them I got was um, It Never Ends. So I was already on the There Is A Hell train. Because I remember Skulls had two. It was that and the song he did with Sam Carter. Which was The Sadness Will Never Come. So it had like Sadness Will Never Come and There Is A Hell. Well, there was hell. Um, it never ends, or like side by side. 
on scars and crane that sort of thing so i sort of like got in around the time where they were starting to go on this upward trajectory and i was really on board like i said i really struggled to choose between this and there is a hell i think the reason i went with this is because it is just more it again dabbles in a, a lot more a little bit of po very delicate parts of um, post rock and dead, but also the alt rock, the electronic music, that kind of thing, the alt, alt metal sort of stuff. It was just such a cacophony of um, genres and style that just stuck with me more than what There Is a Hell did. And Can You Feel My Heart is just a fucking great song. I know it's one of the ones that people tend to overlook quite a bit, but that electronic, like, do, 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 do. brilliant. Fucking loved it, I did. And yeah, the whole album is just. Every time it is the very like standardized metalcore performance with something, and it never made it boring or dated. A modernized genre that was on its ass quite badly. Like the I think the only dud anti this is a really is not a very good song. I remember at the time listening to it and thinking in my head like this should this this isn't clicking. But if I just keep listening to it, it will be cool. I even got the t-shirt for it for a while, um, but just a middle finger thought, if you don't give a fuck. So, ah, you just, it's not count your blessings anymore, Oliver. Just stop. And I know there's like a whole big um, controversy about where, is it Jonah Weinhoven? Yeah, uh, Jonah Weinhoven starts and Adam where he finishes sorry and where Jordan Fish starts and I don't care about that I tend to just go for the music as opposed to the background politics because if you settle into other like other people's politics you can have an awful time but Sempraterno uh, just created such a weird world for bringing her husband to live in because this was the first thing like in hindsight we should have seen um, That's the Spirit coming based on Sempraterno because it was such a bridge between like the two albums so there is a hell and that's a spirit but what they were trying to do and like the big electronic parts on can you feel my heart the big um notes that um all these sites were hitting in can you feel my heart and um shadow moses and sleep um sleepwalking in hindsight it's a very much case of you they were kind of telegraphing where they were going because they were experimenting with like much more poppy kind of ideas. But in in the moment, Sempaterno is just fucking great. Uh, sleepwalking again. It might be. I think it is gang vocals where like just like really bolster Ollie and make him sound even like make him sound good. He's not exactly the best vocalist in the world, is he? But make him sound just brilliant. Um, it was back when Lee Malia still had a place in the album and not just sidelining. Oh, poor Lee. And the work that Jordan Fish did when he came in, like you think you get a metalcore act and you bring in a keyboardist, you're going to get some shitty electronic or Nintendo core kind of album. And I think, can you, I was trying to think. From the top of my head, I think Can You Feel My Heart is the only time where it uses like really traditional synthies like the da, 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 da. The rest of it is like big 
ambient parts and like the big not orchestra but like if you had an orchestra of synth like the big rush of electronica that hits the songs that really bolster the rest of the band um it was never like that really like og attack attack levels of electronic or or holster band that sort of thing it never ever came close to that but it the electronics are there they were there in force didn't exactly fade to the background but every time they came in they were to elevate the rest of the band to elevate the music and to make ollie sound like a musician that's 20 times better than what actually ollie sykes is i regularly ollie sykes being a musician purely because that ep they released um tail end last year the music to eat to sleep to blah 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 that like 24 minute long song where it's him going oh i can't even sing we ought to shoot everything in it i'm like that's just fucking dickhead artsy dickhead artsy dickheads are the worst kind of dickhead but you know good old jordan fish at the time at the time i sent paternal to <laughs> make us not hate ollie just for five minutes or just for 44 minutes and 11 seconds just to not hate ollie sykes and that was that was pretty cool. Um, it is album number four from the Shepherd lot. Um, it is Breaking the Horizon. It is Semper Turn. It came out in 2013. It's my number nine of the decade. Nearly there, lads. Number eight. Oh, I get to talk about Hawkeyes again. Number eight is Ideas by Hawkeyes. I rag on about this album a lot. I rag on about this band a lot. Advice was my number 16. 16. Oh, poetic. Eight now and 16. Yeah, you, you get it because. I still think it is a fucking travesty, because I really like that word at the moment, apparently, that more people, A, don't know who Hawkeyes are, B, aren't booking them. Um, musically, they're just... Boah, Italian hands, that's what it is. Um, it came out in 2012, and like I said, that was not the best time for British music, because... Their, it, piracy I think was at its highest fans weren't really backing the indie market that much at the time and I think it's only in the last few years where like indie music has got such a big resurgence because people are going to shows more, people are encouraged to buy merch more, people are like vinyl is fucking through the roof at the moment um, with ideas it just, I think it's just like wrong time because it certainly isn't through lack of trying. Ideas as like a creative commodity is fucking outstanding. You've got the very pop influenced. Oh, changing feet out. The very pop influenced um, Sky Spinners and Headstrong, which are like got pop influence there, but still like other cool, very riffy, um, stone rock influenced alt metal. Even the chorus to Witch Hunt is very, it's got clean vocal line, it's very um, alt metal again without ever straying too far into the worlds of like too extreme or too heavy, that sort of thing. But the times where it does go there, my fucking god, does it go? Um, Hollywood Set Shop, uh, Hollywood Sweat Shop, excuse me. Uh, yes, Have Some is a fucking belter of a song. Kiss This is just the weirdest kind of thing. And that's the thing with um, Hawkeyes. The lyrics don't make sense. The lyrics don't mean anything. It's literally just a bunch of words cobbled together. Um, what was it? The meetings on this album? Yeah. It just keeps talking about a meeting that goes like everywhere. 
but every now and again he could just go and write, there was something at the meeting. This happened in like another universe, but you know there's a meeting too. Like the, and it's mad that like the lyrics don't have to go anywhere and he's just got a bunch of statements and a bunch of lines cobbled together that make up a song that still have verse and chorus and hooks and riffs and all this McGovern's. And creatively, I just, I can't say what it is that hasn't made Hawkeye and even this, this album blow up more. You know, it's just, I just don't know. I've been talking a lot, so I'm running out of words to say myself, but I'm just thinking, why haven't Hawkeye's blood up because I, I went on their Facebook page and they like they had to cancel some shows back in October and they haven't really been on social since which is a shame because I think we're getting the exact same things what happened at the end of the everything is fine cycle where the album came out the different shows and they just fade off into the distance and we don't know if they're ever going to come back and it makes me upset but ideas like Again, you've got Meeting, which is a great song. Kiss This is a very discordant, it's predominantly clean vocal, but it's just angry and aggressive on the vocal line. Again, it makes no, um, no sense. I think it's just, it almost sounds like you're just stum uh, stammering over words. I won't say stumbling, because that's what I do, but it's just like stammering and stuttering over words, and that's the chorus line. It's mad. Spin uh, Sky Spinners was like the lead single, and that is, I think, the best choice for like the lead single. Maybe I think only Witch Hunt could have also taken that spot. Um, but Sky Spinners has this like brilliant riff that goes all the way through it. It did get on TV. Though. That's how I um, really got into it in the first place. But you know how I found them after hearing about them on a podcast. Um, but yeah, the really, really interesting guitar line, and then, oh, I can't remember his name. And of course it's not written down here. The vocalist, is just hits, it's like, like, who can I compare him to? I can't think of anyone, but just like, a low, clean vocal line, and then, a searing chorus line and then po um, post chorus it just he really just guns for it and then it just breaks into this chorus um, this riff again the breakdown I want to say where it becomes all eclectic and spacey and floaty and then cuts back into the main riff again it's just outstanding um, Headstrong is just a weird riff of a song um, Hollywood, Hollywood Sweatshop just goes down hard Ah, oh, it's just so much to enjoy about this album. It covers pretty much any genre you can think of, um, from alt rock to stoner to math rock, um, even math core, sludge metal, stoner. It's got a lot, and it upsets me the fact that Hawkeyes aren't more than what they are, and how they keep disappearing. But this is a cruel world, so very cruel. Um, but that they are my number eight, and they were. Oh my god, I always love this album. I need to get on. I think I, I bought it twice on CD by mistake, and I don't care. It's a fucking brilliant album. It is number eight of my end of year, end of decade list. It is Ideas by Hawkeyes. Came out in 2012. Listen to it. Listen to Hawkeyes. Just listen to anything they've ever done. 
if you don't like the heavy stuff, start with advice and work your way backwards. If you like the heavy stuff, start with um, modern bodies and work your way forwards. God, they're a brilliant band. Oh my God, are they brilliant. So I pause to grab a drink. <clears throat> I don't know if it's particularly obvious, but I managed to pause on them precisely 100 minutes and zero seconds and zero milliseconds, which I'm pretty sure entitles me to some kind of prize, but never mind. We'll carry on. We'll power through. Man, my throat's beginning to hurt. Uh, where are we? We'll be at number seven then. Ironically enough, the seventh album from this band. They split up in 95. Hold firm. Hold firm. 98. Split up in 98. Um, they reformed in 2009 and pretty much did the Rage Against Machine thing of doing a bunch of shows here and there. Um, a lot of festival shows, quite a few like headline spots and that kind of thing. And, you know, no one ever thought they'd write a new album. No one ever thought they'd do a reunion album um, based on what um, Refuse did and that The Driving did. I'm sure there's a bunch of people who didn't want a reunion album. However, uh, what was that? 18 years after their previous album in 1997, in 2015, Faith No More came back with Soul Invictus. Um, it was my first time properly listening to Faith No More. I'd listened to um, Epic Song, Midlife Crisis, excuse me, Easy as well. And they are very, very good songs. Um, Mike Patton, just oh, fucking Mike Patton. I think everyone knows by now how flipping good he is. And, but yeah, it was just because of like, it's a very alt metal, it's a very 90s kind of thing. And I don't really go for much of stuff that came out of the 90s. Um, I never went back and properly listened to them. Soul and Victors came out. The lead, the fucking nuts to have the lead single as motherfucker just is oh it's so fucking good and from what i've heard since it's a very faith no more thing to do to have the lead single as motherfucker or a song called motherfucker and to go from that what eventually led up would become soul invictus this album fucking slams it is just a collection of brilliantly wonderful songs. And um, you've got like, I don't know how much, like what the cloud term of alt metal covers, but damn, good goddamn, it covers a lot. Um, you've got superhero, which bounces between being like a quite in your face, an industrial groove played on like acoustic instrument, or like, um, non-electronic music, basically like real instruments, was electronic sound played on a guitar, um, which is just like the chord progression makes it sound like an angry hardcore song. And it passed between that with, you know, Mike Patton's snarls over the top to a really floaty, I keep using the word a lot today, a really floaty kind of um, bridge and sometimes the bass the chorus as well. Um, Sunny Side Up kind of does the inverse effect uh, that's just a fantastic song. Separate separation anxiety is just quite demonic, and just burn with these really low vibes and these growls. And I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. I will do that again. 
I think my favourite song that really just shows a pattern is Matador. Like, he hits the fucking huge notes in that. And I just realised Pitchfork gave it 6 out of 10. Fuck off, Pitchfork. No one likes you. Conan, like, all these songs are fucking brilliant. You got Motherfucker, you got Matador, you got Conan Shame, Separation Anxiety, Sunnyside Up, um, Superhero. It's, that is fucking, it's a greatest hit just on its own, and it's what uh, Reformation albums should be like. Just showing off all the cases of why people fell in love with them in the first place. And I just think this album is fucking brilliant. It does set the standard of what other bands should be doing. The likes of System of a Down, Rage Against Machine. Like, to come back and just be a karaoke band. And festivals across the world. It's just... it From a fan's point of view, it just seems to damage the legacy quite a lot. And I don't know if they even care about legacy anymore. But in the case of System, it's very hard to see what Surge Tanky and the Ed even cares about anymore but the way that Faith No More came back and they said from the front like a whole purpose is to come back and do shows we'll go from there and they did a bunch of shows for a bunch of years and they disappeared off they spoke among themselves like should we try did some songs came to or became motherfucker they're like well let's should we fucking keep going okay and then became Soul Invictus just taking it bit by bit by bit but always being honest like how many times have you had like some kind of system of a down update which was one of them saying, oh, well, I've been in the studio and I've been doing this, or I've been in the studio and I've been doing that, it's all down to Surge, and then suddenly she comes out and says, it's all down to Darren. It's just like, at this point, I don't want a System of a Down anymore, album anymore, because it's just going to be shit, because no one wants to, everyone wants to make music, or sorry, three quarters of the band want to make music, but one doesn't, it's like, I'm, I'm over it, we're, we're grown men now, I don't give a fuck, I don't give a fuck about you. Whereas with Solid Victors, it felt like everyone's heart was in it, to make something just flipping brilliant. And yeah, that's what became Soul Invictus. I, I'm seeing a bit here that on Soul Invictus, the band drops a slap bass and rap techniques in prior releases and instead utilizes mid range vocals. Because I'm not the biggest Faith Enough More fan, I can't comment on that sort of thing because I don't know like the lineage versus what they became. So that's down to the fans of Faith No More. But from going in as a like just straightforward just an eclectic amalgam of alt metal with a little bit of the funk metal that I remember the buy in the eight in the nineties. And I feel like compared to what I've listened to, it does go a lot harder on the whole on a lot harder on metal for heavy metal tropes. And yeah, I just think it's a fucking wonderful album. It's not kooky to like in just to be like Bukuki for heaven's sake. It is a very refined kind of dissonance and like irregularity that becomes a fucking great piece of music. It's the seventh album by Faith No More. It's called Soul Invictus. It came out in 2015. And there's a lot of teasers at the moment. So, and there's something here on the Wikipedia that says Untitled Faith No More Project scheduled 2020. So, something's happening and I'm very excited. Moving on to number. Why have I done that? Oh. Number. Try it again. Moving on to number six. And it is Beautifully British. It is my album of the year of 2017. It is the debut from Southampton's Creeper. The album's called Eternity in Your Arms. 
Oh my god, I remember getting this album and I could not stop fucking playing it. It's fucking great! It's horror punk, it's pop punk, it's emo, it's goth rock, it's fucking everything. It's what? It's. Try again. If when we were growing up we had My Chemical Romance and AFI, this generation has Creeper for the exact same reasons. It's a brilliant, fucking wondrous album, and every song in there fucking slams. Um, Misery is iconic. Um, I Choose to Live is such a powerful song. Um, I remember they played that like a week after the Manchester attack for the um, Ariana Grande show. And fucking hell, I, think, I don't think anyone in the show was dry-eyed. Um, Darling is just so beautiful. It's like, Darling, we'll die alone. It's like, yay, it's a love song, but not quite. Um, Winona Forever is just this really jaunty, upbeat, pop-punk song. Down Below, like the gang vocal on Down Below is biblical. Hiding with the boys is, or Hiding with Boys is a fucking slam. Oh, it's just fantastic. Even when it goes like super hard, like Room, room 309 and Poison Pens. To use like the really easy um, comparison of my chem, when you've got songs like um, what, Teenagers or Dead or that kind of thing, or even I'm Not Okay, it just the, the level of just how much it slams and how much how punchy it is and how um, what's the fucking word I'm trying to think of just how hard it goes I guess I can't I'm running out of words to say and I apparently have a runny nose um, and yeah I remember I, it was such a weird thing because everyone was going off about them and I found out about Creeper on their third EP yeah The Stranger and I remember listening to it and thinking it's just it's, it's not as good as not as good as I was led to believe I feel betrayed um, and you know it had Black Mass it had Astral Projection and it had Misery as well which had redone for um, the album and I was like oh, they're good don't get me wrong they're very very good they could be a great band one day but just not right now went back and Creeper and the self-titled EP and Callous Heart both fucking great like Lie Awake is a great song um, Honeymoon Suite was the first song of them I heard even before um, the Stranger EP, and I thought, fucking hell, this is just yeet. And then the self-titled EP was fantastic. The whole ethos and how they released the album, where basically they quote-unquote went missing, and Upon a Burning Body tried to do something very similar a few years prior, and they basically put out a bunch of tweets saying... Go ahead. Um... Put up a page street saying, "Hey, our lead singer's gone missing. Can someone call nine one one?" That was a really bad way of building hype to an album. When it had this whole, uh, the way Creepy did, they put out some like weird static videos, started putting about a law of like a local South Southampton legend, or like they intertwined it with their own narrative. So you had the, the Creeper, you had um, a detective trying to look up, um, look for it, having the entire band go missing with like these very obviously fake missing persons posters which were like had a touch of like the 50s goth horror vibe to them all this like what they were doing to promote the album i can't really think of a time where they've 
anyone's ever done that before. Like the whole theatre behind it all to create, again, to create this like folklore narrative on top of the fact that the band were going missing. Um, it was linked to The Stranger. The Stranger was this thing that kept crawling around the night in um, Southampton. The detective was looking for it but couldn't really find anything conclusive. I just cannot think of another band who's really done that sort of thing. Not at least for a long, not long, um, for a long time. And yeah, they are the fans behind them are quite. They're very cult. Like they are called the creepy cult, and I think it suited them well because they are. It's a very theatric kind of band. You're like you look at the shows. Look at. I didn't really um, realize it until. Um, the teasers for the new album came out, but they were very uniform. It was all like very gothic like you know black jeans black tops um the black denim jackets with the creeper heart on the back and in fact when it was um they quote-unquote split up again adding to this like narrative they had conjured up when they split up on stage and they all like took their jackets off and like dumped them on the middle of the stage and walked off then it became a thing of this is more than just music. This is a whole show to go alongside the music. And they came back and where it basically wore the exact same uniform, but now all white. Oh, it's just insanely good. It's so much fun to figure out what... I, I think that's because, like, the wrestling fan of me, like, you always see wrestlers reinvent themselves and, like, change up the character. And now a very brilliantly good horror punk band are now doing that. I'm totally down. I'm... All in for this kind of shit. Um, people are a little bit... Every time I try and play Creeper to other people, they're a little bit off-put by Will Gould's voice. I don't understand why. It's just because it's unique. It doesn't sound like any other band... Uh, any of the modern artists. It's very 80s inspired, like the whole goth rock thing back then. But I think he's fucking wonderful. And this band is great. And I want them forever. Oh, Lord. They're just so good. Um, the num my number six for the album of the decade, uh, Eternity in Your Arms by Creeper, came out 2017. It's my 2017 album of the year. Big. They're big. Though you might not be able to tell because of passage of time in the foreign concept of the recorded voice, in the time between my entrant number six and my entrant number five, I have gone to work, worked the shift, and now I've come back to my home. It is nearly two o'clock in the morning. But I feel like I should finish this before going to bed. So I'm pretty confident I finished off uh, entry number five. Um, I'm entry number six, sorry. We're going to move in to entry number five. And that is the sophomore album from Marmots. That's the Bingley West Yorkshire Quintet. Quintet. The album's called Knowing What You Know Now. It came out in 2018. Um, I remember there was a huge, huge buzz about the debut Marmosets album, um, The Weird and Wonderful. And quite rightly so, I saw a lot of people positively compare it to At The Drive-In, which was um, manic, math-rock-tinged, post-hardcore, with a weirdly um, alt-rock pattern to it, or like sensibility to it. And you got that a lot with um, The Weird and Wonderful. I remember, what song was it? The first song I heard, I heard off that album was, it was, oh, Vibitech, or Vibetech, I you pronounce it, and 
I remember, like, I heard about this wicked new band, and I just thought it's just a, it's just another mathcore band. It's interesting, but you know, then I got through the rest of the band, and the rest of the album was like, holy shit, yeah, this is something very, very different entirely. And in between those two albums, they end they get picked up by Roadrunner. Um, what was the first? Although that's still on Roadrunner's first album. What do I know? Um, continued then to be signed to Roadrunner, and in album number two, they. It was going to go one of two ways. Either they were going to go fully into this, like, mathcore kind of stuff. Or, especially by, what, that 20, yeah, 2018. Dillinger was gone by now, so they could have easily, like, stepped in. Like, we're going to be the next big, white hot shit in mathcore. Um, and it could have gone two ways. could have gone like that, or they could have, like, really hammered in on the alt-rock kind of stuff that they were doing. And that's what they ended up going up with. Um, really pursuing what became a much more refined sound. Um... I really didn't think the first album was on Roadrun. I think they might have last minute got signed there. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, really, really hammered in on the art rock stuff to create. It's still very much the same world as The Weird and Wonderful. But it is. The songwriting in uh, Knowing What You Know Now is so much better. The sheer audacity to open up with play and habits as like a one-two the lead singles as well they fucking slapped as far as songs go um play using um vocal loops and like this really fuzzy guitar tone becca just on clinically fantastic form and habits as well you want to talk about becca on top four the fucking big searing vocal she hits on the, the get carried away the big chorus on that it's Fucking great. And as far as vocalist goes, Becca just does a fucking great job on this album. Um, I saw a lot of people compare her to Kate Bush. Never quite understood it. Just flicking through some of her songs now and I absolutely 100% get it. The way Kate Bush back in the day could have like this really deep, quite open voice to like the really twee kind of pop stuff. Um, even like not even, like beyond pop, quite ghostly in its like tweeness. And Becca can do that just as well, if not, I'd say better, but there was never a big um, Kate Bushmark. Uh, you got, like, the really slow, idyllic stuff, like Insomnia, which is, like, this uh, spooky, but weird, blah, 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 dragon. It's like two o'clock in the morning, fuck off. This really weird, um, psychedelic number, where her voice is so soft and crawling that it goes beyond the the point of like um, really soft and comforting vocals the point becomes quite eerie and quite it can be kind of unsettling and then you get to me and you which is this really slow going uh, ballad chord kind of song and what I like is they don't leave it on the ballad they don't I'm, what album was it it was one of the other um, albums I've been the albums of the decade might be microwave actually it ends on the ballad and you think it just kicked as much as it works for Microwave, it did take a bit of the sting out of the album to have it at the end. I don't know where you'd put it instead because of how hard the album goes, but they don't stop on me and you. They have Suffocation, which is another like, really decent song. Then it ends with Run With The Rhythm. <laughs> Run With The Rhythm. I really struggle with R's and W's in this, which is big. I know it's like the end song of the album, but it's absolutely the song you have to like pop a show. It gets everyone moving, it'll get everyone running. It's just so full of energy and very much, it feels like a call to arms kind of song. 
Major System Error is a fantastic song. Like a Battery, Start Again. It's just a sensationally good album. And when I was reviewing um, Zokes, I was considering comparing them to, like, they would have been the UK's answer to Let Live. And I feel like The Weird and Wonderful is very much a fake history kind of album. Like, very sporadic and mathy and post-hardcore, which is a little bit of the um, commercial art rock um, dealings towards it. Zokes, the self-titled would have been Black is Beautiful. Very strong, very interesting post-hardcore with still some, like an a bigger alt-rock influence, a bigger influence from outside the realms of um, post-hardcore. To me, knowing what you know now would have been the If I'm the Devil kind of album where it feels like the alt-rock and the post-hardcore aren't so much as one's taking over the other, they're just syncing in perfect harmony with each other. And the end result for Marmosets is just such a fucking great album. I've talked through I haven't listened to Marmosets and Rumpsets, so I thought oh, I fucking know what I need to say about the Marmosets. I'm definitely gonna go back and listen to it now. It's just for habits and play, if nothing else, for habits fucking play, dude. Shouldn't be allowed to start an album with songs that brilliant. And again, like better performance, like the big vocal. Um, a boom, I guess, for the chorus of Habits, like the get carried away, and the heights she can hear, well, she can hit, sorry, with the, with her vocal line, it's fucking wonderful. I've heard rumblings that they took a break so Becca could go off and have a child, and you know, all that went well. Best of luck to them, congratulations. And I believe the rumblings that after she's had the baby, obviously take a little bit of time off. And then they're going to come back, and I cannot fucking wait. It doesn't feel like it's only been two years since A Mama's Let's Out. It would have been literally two, year, two years, about a week ago. Bugger me, it feels a lot longer than that. I need more Mama's Let's in my life. I cannot fucking wait. It is... It, well, yeah, fucking hell, I didn't realise. Entering top five territory now. I'm so tired. Um, knowing What You Know Now by Mama's Let's. Fucking insanely brilliant album. This is where I'm going to start repeating myself a lot again. So I thought, oh, I know, fresh perspective of everything. I'm going to have so many new words. I fucking don't. I've also chugged a glass of juice, so I'm going to be dying again. Moving on to number four. And it just wouldn't be some kind of end of whatever list without talking about my favourite band of all time. It is the fourth album from the Watford-based the Watford Quartet Gallows. I, I won't bore people with how much I love Gallows, because I feel like at this point, I've, I've done it quite a bit. And considering this podcast is named after this album, I pretty dig them. I'm a big fan. Big fan thing. It came out in 2015. It was the follow-up to um, the self-titled album. It was their first without Frank Carter at the helm. Sorry, it was the second without Frank Carter at the helm. It was the first without uh, Steph on guitars. So it was the first as their as this fourth piece of Wade, Stu, Lee and uh, Lags. And although I can kind of hear little, very small driblets in the self-titled, Desolation Sounds represents when they start to really incorporate other influences into the, into the band's core sound. Um, you've got goth rock in there. I hear quite a lot of um, horror punk in there as well, personally. People have said it also has post-punk in there as well. And 
I think it's a very refreshing take on the gallows sound because in Great Britain they did toy around with stretching hardcore punk to its absolute limits. In the self-titled, I feel like they went back to being quite a straightforward punk rock album. I feel like Gallows is more of a natural progression from Orchestra of Wolves than Great Britain was. And then Desolation Sounds is the more natural fitting successor to Great Britain, if that makes sense. Oh, now please watch the microphone. And you, in, it's really easy to hear like songs like uh, Mystic Chain, no, sorry, Mystic Death, uh, Leviathan Rot, Chains, adding samples of like little bits here and there just to add to the ethos of the band sound, Bonfire Season as well. And then you still got like quite punk rock kind of things like 93, 93. I even say Swan Song as well. Swan Song always makes me fucking shit myself because at the end it's just got this huge static blast that seems louder than anything you've ever heard ever and I always forget it's happening and it always makes me jump and it fucking cunts for that. Cease to Exist is this beautiful like gothic rock ballad which anytime anything's a beautiful gothic rock ballad it's always got a tint of the horror about it and tint of being fucking creepy. And the title track as well is just a an absolute blast of a song. Sorry, I'm just trying to think of like other ways of describing one of my like favourite acts of all time. It's going to be so easy to feel like, yeah, man who likes Gallows really, really likes Gallows. Um, I picked this over the self-titled here because as much as I enjoy the self-titled and there are some cracker songs there, you've got... Uh, I'll fucking see if I can remember all that. Actually, going back. Odessa, Last June, um, Cross of Lorraine. Fucking Cross of Lorraine, man. That's an underrated song in the Gallows back catalogue. Um, I feel like track for track, they're both full of absolute belters, but there's like one or two Gallows songs which just gets pipped by the one or two songs on Desolation Sounds. I. Mm, do I think there'll ever be another Gallows album? I think there will be. I think there'll be one more. And then. They'll, they'll finally pull the plug. I think they need to have like one more absolute thing where they they'll say like this is our final thing. Whereas at the moment it just feels like they released it, toured it, gone to different projects. They came back for Slam Dunk. They came back for a few shows in London, and then it's kind of the same again. I think it'll be one more album from them just to say like this. We're going now. We're now going out our own terms. We're all growing up. We're all going to go off and do bigger, better, brighter things. We've got Gold Key. We've got um, now Lee was in Funeral Shakes. He's left them now. I th I feel like I've seen a picture of him recently where he was um, recording drum tracks to someone. Either way, we've got Crocodile, we've got Gold Key, we've got Moving to the States, we've got various things going. We've got our own guitar workshop, we've got, what's that fucking new band called? Lioness. Obviously, got Frank R and Ratsnakes. Alexis on Fire have come back. I feel like one song, well, one album left, just to have a proper swan song, if you will. And then The Good Ship Gallows finally buggers off and I will be just a heartbroken mess when it happens but until such time I just really fucking love Gallows oh that's just that's uh, one thing I'll always praise Activision for for getting the rights to having in the belly of a shark on Guitar Hero 3 and it's just exploded from there and now I'm a mess every time they come on but if they ever got dropped on a 
any sort of like rock night out I went to, I might actually melt. There's a fun idea for you. And now, the con- mildly controversy. It is considering how much I just waxed lyrical about Gallows. My number three, holy shit, my top three, has been going for nearly two hours, over two hours. Numbers. In 2015, I saw, well, I heard one of the most excited comebacks I've heard in a while, because it was the return of Frank Carter being an absolute fucking behemoth as a frontman. Uh, he came back with Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes. Beforehand, he had released Rotten, a three-track EP that had, can you remember? Paradise, Fangs, and Juggernaut? No. Juggernaut, Fangs, Primary Explosive, I think. It was three songs that ended up making the album, but good that much. And it was a Frank Carter that I haven't heard, hadn't heard in years. Obviously, he left Gallows after Great Britain. I think he left in 2010. Went off and did Pure Love, and that came out in 2013, Anthems. And it was very, very, super very different to what he'd ever done, ever. And that first song, Burn My Bones, started talking about how singing about hate isn't getting anything done. I disagree. And yeah, from that point on, I kind of thought, like, well, it, he's got this idea of what he wants to be as a musician now. And it's going to be a case of... You look at Matt Heafy when um, Science in the Snow came out, I was like, when are you going to go back to screaming? Or it would be along that ilk of like trying to get Frank Carter to do shouts again. And I didn't want to be that guy who wanted to see him do it. I'm always going to be a Frank Carter fan. And then Pure Love fell, um, fell apart. And yeah, Frank just sort of like faded into obscurity for a while. Wasn't quite sure what was going on. I think he got super into his art and his tattooing. And then these little teasers and then Rotten, and then the 2015 debut of Blossom, and it showed that. Because there were bound to have been people who said, like, oh, Frank just can't scream anymore, that's why he stopped. Because every time a, a musician or a vocalist stops screaming, everyone always assumes that's because they just can't anymore, like they've damaged vocal cords, or, you know, they just can't hit the notes the same way they used to anymore. Well, Frank came back with Gallo, like with Dean Richardson, his new it fucking glorious co-partner in this album in this band when he came back tore through fangs like it was just nothing it just gave me the weird the fucking greatest goosebumps i had a very rick flair with a tear in my eye that was awful just listening to that two and a half minute song over and over and over again because it just it sounded like just the innards of my ear being shredded apart by this very angry ginger from Watford. It's a fucking belter of a song. And then the whole album is that it's just absolute vicious punk rock played with no care to your well-being at all. It's fucking wonderful, this album. And I'll, I'll freely admit... Well, considering all the um, Rattlesnakes album come out this this decade, and the fact that it's here, it's undoubtedly my favourite out of the Rattlesnakes back catalogue. And you know, I t spoke about the end of in the in the, in, in the end of suffering review, talked about um, how Modern Ruin was affected by Frank, and then um, end of suffering is. 
what I feel like Dean and Frank have wanted to make as opposed to being told what maybe they should or shouldn't make. But back when this came out, this was very much a case of everyone keeps telling me we, I can't go anymore. And then Frank was like, you know what? I really don't want people to think that anymore and just blistered through some incredible songs. Um, Parad it's also fucking evil as well. Paradise screams about your paradise doesn't exist. Um, when you die, you're pretty fucked, mate. There's no big bearded man in the, fluffy, in the fluffy cloud. There's no 42 version. There's nothing. It's just dark and despair. Um, Lost and Beautiful Death. We're current thing about Death on the Album. You've got songs like Lost and Beautiful Death. Um, Primary Explosive is just an angry belter of a song. I Hate You is just the signal fire of this song, of this album, sorry. Of this band. Still now they'll play it live and every single person in that venue that they're at, if it's an arena, if it's a stage show, if it's a festival, if it's a pub with like three chairs, every single person will sing along with Frank and Dino and just, I fucking hate you, I wish you would die. It might, makes me violently angry when I see you alive. I wish wish one day I could be that jaded and still put it into words like that because that is fucking, it might sound really, really dopey out of context, but good fucking God. After going through nine tracks of like half an hour of the most vicious style of hardcore, it opens with fucking Juggernaut for God's sake. Just come on. And to finish it off with a song like I Hate You, where it's like, I, just that I fucking hate, I cannot stand the fact that you are alive at the same time as me and the shirts the merch print themselves just the stone cold effect of like basic text on a basic shirt the black writing of i hate you on a white t-shirt bet your ass i have one and i'm gutted the fact they've got their supply was basically the supply was shit always go with um fruit of the loom never kill them and i'm gonna turn it into a back patch just so i can have it still five years on after the album still blazing it across my body I cannot wait. Oh my fucking god, this album just... If you just want to be torn asunder, this will do it better than any death metal band will ever do. The debut album from Frank Carlin and Rattlesnake's name, my number three. So, for one and two, I came into a bit of an impasse. Should I go with, like for my number one, the album that for me is just musically better like as a concept and as a final product and as an idea, just better? Or should I go with the album that's just got a lot? It's a fantastic album and it's got so much sentimental value to me as well. And then I remembered how much I'm not a fan of me. So I went with the really, 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 really good one, my number one, and then the really good one with happy stories as my number two. So my happy good one with good stories, that's almost a sentence, is I mentioned him a lot. Across the decade, there is a reason because they are, after Gallows, one of my favourite bands of all time. It is the, uh, I still don't like saying this, it is the final album from Let Live. It is If I'm the Devil. Oh, I just got a twinge across my entire body saying the final album. That hurts me still. I got The Black is Beautiful when the, the swell of hype was around Let Live. I listened to it, I thought, oh my lord, this is just insane levels of brilliant. 
Okay, Black is Beautiful or Stand Up is one of the best albums of all time. I will get to why I prefer this one in due time. If I'm the Devil came out the time I was coming out of university and I had friends moving away to Japan, I had a lot of important people to me moving away and I've seen them briefly since but I'm fully aware that the relationship I have with them is much different to what I thought it was going to be right about when we finished university and I thought my life post-university was going to be a lot different to what has actually happened post-university. And any time this album comes back on, I don't think about... I, I often think about the what-ifs and could I have done this or what should I, could have, blah, 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 blah. When this album comes on, I don't think of any of that. All I think about is that time between um, the end of June when I started listening to this album, about the middle of August, when me and my friends just hung out. We were still in the same city because we hadn't moved away yet. Still in the same city. We had all the free time in the world because, you know, still had a bit of student loan left. Um, I was only part-time. I just, I just went full-time at work. And they were basically running out their money because they all to moved back home before they went off and did their various adventures. So for that month or two gap in summer, it was just... A fucking, another, it's just a great time. And that's what I go back to every time. I brilliant this album is, and I will get to that eventually. Just to not have to think about what could have or should have happened, just to sit, to go back and revisit that time in my life where I was genuinely happy and I haven't probably felt that way. This isn't me about to say, like, I've got depression, please help me. I don't, no, just fucking don't. But just to go back, like, now I've got to pay bills, I've got taxes to deal with, um, I moved house last month and that almost bankrupted me. I had to tell, well, I didn't have to tell anyone, I listened to a group of four fully grown adults reverse to someone with special needs as a retard today. That's the life I live now. Whereas back then, when this album comes on, all I think about is us going to um, Scunthorpe and playing on the... Oh, sorry, Skegness and playing on the two-penny machines and losing a lot of money. Going into the cafes and buying the Pokemon uh, milkshakes. Having movie nights, having, um, like swapping filled houses for like dinner nights that's what I think about and it's just nice to live in that world for all of three quarters of an hour when If I'm the Devil comes on because I can listen to this album start to finish any time it's what I did realise is um, everything I felt about Microwave I felt about If I'm the Devil first in the terms of how easy I can listen to this album and how just easy it is to digest as a full piece of music in terms of the music itself, everything is said about Knowing What You Know Now by Marmosets. The book was written by Let Live, and their, that particular style of Marmosets having that post-hardcore was just like the dribblings of alt-rock that turned it into a much more manageable affair. Fucking If I'm the Devil does that better than anything. You know, you've got... I've Learned to Love Myself, which is a very slow, dramatic way of starting the album. Good Morning America is so in your face about, you know, what was the, the then political climate of America. Reluctantly Dead has Jace just hit some incredible uh, clean notes. 
Same with Cover Color Quiet and then the title track. Another offensive song is like pretty much the only song where it goes back to like a fake history kind of day and Jason Butler is just in your face screeching at you. And he hasn't really done that since like the Pressure Cracks EPs. Uh, a Week Ago and Elephant are just monolithically good songs. And it is just like a very classic let live way of writing songs, which is having... And I think that's what... Just, what Fever 333 now... Did I say to me? Fever 333, yeah. What they're doing now is obviously what Jason's been wanting to do for years because I think the idea is running around in If I'm the Devil, it was sort of like... Was um, Jeff still in this? No, um, so... Jean had left the out, um, left, left, left by this way. He was a guitarist and percussionist. But from what I remember, he was like a very prominent. Um, no, it was Jeff. Sorry, I'm confusing myself. So, I th from what I've heard, and if I'm, I'm pretty sure I've got this correct, if not, I apologise. The song writing was always mostly done with between Jason and Jeff um, Sayun, who was the guitarist. And obviously, with Jason now doing Fever 333, I think you can kind of see where. The Jason half of If I'm the Devil starts and where the Jeff half of the album starts because there's so much pop ideas and pop sensibilities that have been pumped into If I'm the Devil while still it is like met at every instance by still like the post hardcoreness and like the, a lot of art rock gone into this. I know art rock has always been like a big factor of the letter sound, but the art rock that comes out and for songs like um, Copper Color Quietly and it's just that's beautiful. It's not, it's not quite a ballad, but it's not quite. A traditional hard rock kind of song. Um, what was the other one? Foreign Cab Rides. Oh, fucking hell, I almost forgot about Foreign Cab Rides. Another one which is not quite a ballad, but it is this very soft, and very like eclectic, beautiful song. And then, even when it, it, you have a much more rock kind of song, like I said, Elephant and A Week Ago, they've both just got such punchy punk rock guitars. Um, like, and it retains that post-hardcore sound to it, but then the feeling of like the art, um, art rock coming through it and just really giving it a broader sense of what post-hardcore is, it's fucking great. And I was fucking toot-toot on the Let Live hype train after this album came out, and when they split up, was it, they split up this, that late that year, didn't they? Or was it that the year after? It was a year after. And... Oh, has it has it been the same since? Because it doesn't really feel like it, and I cannot think of a band that's come in who's fit that mould yet. You know, Mama's had to do very, very well at it. Um, they do exceptionally well at it, actually. Um, Zokes, as much as I love them, it's hard to tell based on one album if they would be able to fill in those shoes. And. Everything else from like the 2019 albums of the year fit too far away from a aspect of the sound that Liv Liv created. Let Liv, sorry, created. Just the the mind of Jason doing like that. Because now with Fever 33, it's it feels often feels like a bit more of a political message. The fact that he can get his philosophy and his ethic and his like mindset to a much broader audience than let live ever achieved and you know if 
that's what he's going for, that's what he's going for. And he's doing, if that is what he's going for, he's doing it fucking exceptionally well. But in Let Live, it felt more, I guess it kind of felt more honest. Not that I don't think Fever 33 is like trying to blindside anyone. It's just because it did get huge backing straight away, it feels like he can be so much upfront with what he wants to say, whereas Let Live, it got, it got masked around this like, art philosophy and this art metaphors because it was like a very old-fashioned way of doing protest music where it started off from when they were like a very low-key underground band and just got brilliant as time got on. I think I understand what I'm trying to say. I hope someone else understands what I'm trying to say. Otherwise, what's the fucking point of me being here for two and a half hours? It's a fantastic album. And it's... I feel like if I call it a perfect album, then why is it why is it not my number one? But I, I can't really think of a dud about the album. And like I said, I can flick on any song from it at any time, and I can, it's just an enjoyable enjoyable time. I fucking love this album. I'm gutted that I'll never hear a Let Live album, a new Let Live album ever again. Because I don't I don't really see them reforming. Jason's doing more than fine with Fever 33, and every time he wants to get something shouty out of the system, he can just go to pressure cracks. And as much as like it's never been a one person kind of band, like just for the Fun Devil itself, you had Ryan J. Johnson on bass, you have Jess Sehun on Los Ayum, sorry, on guitars and keyboard, you had um pretty sure I was meant to say Leo now. I don't know. Uh, Loniel? I really hope I pronounced that right. Uh, Loniel Robinson on drums as well. You do have a band there, but it's always been... It's predominantly been, I should say, the Jason Butler show. And he can do whatever he wants now with Beaver and Pressure. So now, I don't think we'll get another Let Them Out um, album ever again. I'm not sure I'd want one because... You know, if he can get everything up his chest that he wants to do with Fever, what's he going to say? Let Live? That makes sense? But... Let the memories lie, live. Or let the memories lie, I should say. Because, yeah, th this is why it's like, it's much more, the reason why I take it over um, Black is Beautiful is because it has got, as much as Black is Beautiful has got some fantastic songs, Empty Elvis, um, Younger, what's the other fucking song I go to with? Fucking, now you've got a giant fucking breakthrough. Um, Dreams of the Seas, Banshee, there we go. Banshee and Pheromone Cult as well. As brilliant as those songs are, the personal attachment I have to that time of my life with If I'm the Devil, it just surpasses it all. And I f will ad always adore just for that one summer in 2016 alone. And it all got horribly wrong, but sorry for another time. <sighs> I'm so tired. It's now half past two in the morning. But I still won't talk, stop me talking about the number one album i can't i don't know why i did that but i definitely can't shout because i know all my neighbors are in bed i live alone but you know i don't i haven't quite figured out how thick or otherwise these walls in this apartment are yet it is I don't, this may be sad that it's not even not british because you know we're brexit now and i've got to love everything's british only it is the sophomore album from the new york city based via basel switzerland project formerly one man project it is 2018's Stranger Fruit by Zelanada. The whole concept of Zelanada fascinates me. 
Uh, if you're unaware, the main creative bloke, main creative bloke behind the entire project, uh, Manuel Ganyu, went into one of the most toxic places on the internet in 4chan and said, give me two genres of music, I'm going to mash it together, I'm going to make an album. One person said black metal, one person said, well I don't repeat what he said, but basically he said, like, old slave music, spiritual music, that kind of thing. And you can, yeah, you know, I'd like to think 4chan and saying slave music, you can kind of guess what he called it instead, but Manuel took it on his chin and created Zealand Arda, a black metal, post-black metal project with an avant-garde twist, and that avant-garde twist is it's got a lot of the rhythmic chanting and to the point where it almost feels satanic chanting from what would have been the chants and the songs that they would sing on the various fields during the time of slavery. And the debut album, Devil is Fine, just rewrote the book on what creative metal was. Um, from Ashes and the title track and various other songs that album just fucking slam. And although Strange Fruit is marketed as the first album he wrote with a full band, after this he did take a full band, like a consistent band with him out on tour. Um, the only other musician that like has a writing credit on the album is Marco von Ullmann who does the uh, drums on the album. And even just having that one other person to bounce ideas off and say you should try this instead of doing this has created a sensational album with a decrepitly sad and morbid mood to the album. Um, you've got samples from Alistair Crowley, you've got samples from Anton Levey, you've got like, it's almost cruel at some points, like lyrically, like Don't You Dare is all about, don't you dare think about you're ever going to get away, this is your life now, don't you, don't, just, just do not think about another life. Row Row is just like a soundtrack to people rowing their way to the next destination. And I think we all remember from like the old history lessons how they would be set up to get from A to B and how they would just get up, get set up to live for those weeks or months when they were travelling in between destinations on the boat. And like You Ain't Coming Back as well, you can fucking tell how horrifying that song is. And then when it goes like full black metal, like on Servants or what was the other one that goes super hard? Waste. The brutality that he has in just the genre of black metal still remains. And then you've got the brutality of his um, songwriting content. And just mash them together and it does create this absolute abomination of a world that you just, you're fascinated by. I had friends, I would talk to them about Zilanale and they would go off and listen to him and they said they would feel bad trying to explain it to other people. Because you try, you want to get people to like listen to new stuff and like expand their horizons and then when you're trying to explain what Zelenado is and what Zelenado represents and how it all comes about you're just like it's just on the lines of being like it's almost inappropriate to show off how great this is because in order for it to have been great something absolutely horrific had to have happened in the first place it's I don't I was gonna say on par it's not it's a very different kind of um, trauma but the same idea, I guess, with like Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, how he went through an absolutely like horrifying tragedy and turned that into a wonderfully beautiful album, and everything that Nathan Hardy went through in Microwave to then create a album of just 
venom and anger but still a fantastic record you want these brilliant albums but you feel guilty about having to describe them because you think oh it's just it's just been a horrible time for certain pe people in order for me to enjoy this and it's a weird it's a weird level of is it schadenfreude i'm not quite sure that's right but you know in terms of like the music it is much the same of the the production quality is a thousand times better it felt, although technically the Devil Is Fine album is the second album, there was a self-titled album that came beforehand, which I think Manuel just attributes to being a demo now because he had like a lot more backing for Devil Is Fine, and then the backing from in between Devil Is Fine and Stranger Fruit is just it's non-comparable to the point where it kind of makes Devil Is Fine sound a bit of a demo as well. You've got like little interlude bits here and there, so you've got the Hermit, the Fool, and Soul which just add to the mystique of like a black metal album at large. And then, yeah, the blending of the sometimes black metal, sometimes post-black metal with the rhythmic chanting. And you can even hear in the percussion as you've got um, like row, row. It starts off with that row, row, you're never gonna go. And the drums in the back, just almost, it's like a clap beat. And then it just like stops and starts building and then just burst into like this huge scream. That just sort of sound like the very depths of hell itself has come out to say, yeah, it's pretty bad down here. And yeah, these guys had a pretty tough time. That was, and yeah, just think about that. Laughably good, uncomfortably good is the whole Zealand out of back catalog, but more so than anything else. Stranger Fruit, the sophomore album, undoubtedly. Um, and in the time since, it's been kind of weird. So he released Baphomet, which came out as part of like an Adult Swim compilation. And there was like this weird trip-hop, electronica kind of song that he released as well, which... Super weird. Super, super weird. And I hope it doesn't go like that. I hope he stays in this realm of diabolically evil black metal with a few hundred years of history backing it up but you know who am I to decide what a man from Basel, Switzerland does did I say Switzerland? no, no, did I say Sweden? I was going to say Basel if, I, if Switzerland if I did say Sweden I'm just going to go to bed now um, but not before set, rounding this off it has been it's been a journey it's been a very long journey I anyone listens all the way through this do let me know because I don't think I feel like I've just wasted a lot of my day going through everything um, but it's, it's what's the expression it's not the destination it's not the travel it's the destination something like that I fucking know I would love to hear what other people's opinions are on any of the albums from my album of the decade or their very own albums of the decade I'm so intrigued to find out like, because when you think about a year, especially in, like, certain worlds or, like, you get an eye on, like, certain people, you can kind of figure out what roughly is going to be there. Like, my friend Tom, who I talk about music with all the time at work, I feel like he will... But when, when sorry, when I was talking about End of Year List and I was saying about the Pup album, he was saying how, like, he'd heard me talk about it before and it was he wasn't surprised by that kind of album being up there. Um, same with albums like The Menzingers, he heard me go on a lot about clipping as well. Um, 
cattle decap as well. So you get to know the right people, you sort of know what they're going to go for in a year. But for an, a decade, that's a long time to grow up. I started this decade at 15 years old. No 15-year-old knows anything. 15-year-olds are stupid for a reason. So 100% would love to know what other people's albums decade are, or just some great albums that would be in their list, top, like top half of their list if they made one. Um, but yes, it has been an ordeal to get to here. I, I, I'm going to repeat literally what I've just said. I'd love to hear more from y'all about your albums of the decade. Socials are at Desolation Pod, come say hi. But to round off one last time, because good God, we've been here a while, and I'm repeating myself a lot because I'm very, very tired. Number 20. I'm not going to go through the whole 50, because fuck that. Number 20 was Forever by Code Orange. Number 19, Death is a Warm Blanket by Microwave. 18 was Morbid Stuff by Pup. 17 was Architects with Holy Hell. Number 16 was The Damn Things with Ironoclast. 15 was the self-titled debut album and final album by Zokes. 14 was The Greatest Generation by The Wonder Years. 13 was Times of Grace with The Hymn of a Broken Man. 12 was The Menzingers and After the Party. 11 was Lies by Spycatcher. Number 10 was Leprous with Malina. Number 9 was Bring the Horizon with Sinternal. Number 8 was The Mythical Hawkeye with Ideas. 7 was Face No More with Soul Invictus. Number 6, Creeper with Eternity in Your Arms. 5 was Marmosette's Knowing What You Know Now. Number 4 was Desolation Sounds by Gallows. Number 3, Blossom by Frank Arnold and Rattlesnakes. Number 2, Let Live If I'm the Devil. And then number 1, to me, and to Desolation Sounds podcast, the number one album of the tens? Is that what they're called? The tens or teens, whatever you call them. The number one album of the previous decade that just gone by us. Stranger Fruit by Zelenada. And with that, I would say I'll see you next week. Technically it is next week, but it's not going to be that big gap between episodes. Hopefully, if I pull my finger out and only review four albums instead of fucking 40. Well, 40 albums in the space of three weeks. Never, ever fucking do that. That's a terrible idea. Um, as with podcasting. I'll see y'all later. Bye-bye.